the we answer. Have a point of order. The answer that I gave you is they didn't bother to interview a single witness. Just like you, they don't want to know the truth. Well, you probably know the truth. Witness, 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 witness. This is Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. Brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, D. Simon. I'm Kate Rambo. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Usual stuff, D. Simon. Just going to work, going to bed, going to work again. Just living Never life. Ends. Living life. I hate this time of year. I hate Christmas. I'm ready for it to be 2021. Do you, uh, at, so you work at like a factory, right? like a warehouse kind of thing, blue collar type thing. In a cock ring factory. You did mention precise. that. In, uh, yeah, in the, in the outtakes. In the patron. The patron <laughs> outtakes. Uh, Kate goes into a little more explanation about the cock ring factory where she works, the largest cock ring factory in uh in, in the Europe, continental UK or in Europe? It's the right. only one. If you've ever worn a cock ring, chances are it's come from my factory. Okay, so Kate has probably worked on the design and manufacturing and mm-hmm. uh, distribution of those cock rings. Um, so in a cock ring factory, do you guys do like a, like a, is there like a Christmas thing? Is it like, do they have Christmas trees and wreaths everywhere? Is it festive? Uh, no, we're not, we're not having the mannequins out with like you know tinsel on their dicks do they have a special seasonal cock ring like a green one or something yeah we do you know got to keep it spice things up a bit yeah we've got special christmas cock rings oh wow that's 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 festive i mean it's kind of cool and so new every day don't you yeah i'm actually you know being that it's a well it's a fucking full-on covid lockdown we're in like the third wave right now in california um, mm-hmm. but, but being being as it may that you know that there is a COVID lockdown, I don't have to go to my office. I don't have to deal with all the Christmas stuff, and I'm actually quite happy about that. There's no holiday parties. There's no, none of it. Yeah, we don't do anything like that where I work, and I will not be doing anything on Christmas Day this year. Well, I didn't do anything on Christmas Day last year. I didn't celebrate it, but this year I'm not even putting up decorations or anything. Kate's Christmas is cancelled. Yeah, Christmas no, is cancelled. I've canceled Christmas forever in my mind. I'm never, ever going to celebrate it again. That's it. <laughs> it's done. I'm over it. I mean, yeah, I, do, I hate Christmas. I just think it's so crap. It's what if you crap. end up having, like, adopting, like, a rotundo child who just loves Christmas? <laughs> and that's, like, the only reason he exists. Well, he has to learn that life is cruel. Life is uh, unfair. And he is not getting Christmas. I hope you Ever. never end up having a rotundo child and denying him Christmas, you evil How do you witch. not know that I don't already have one? Actually, <laughs> yeah, well, I've never seen him in any of these podcasts. Like when I'm, we're doing Zoom, I don't see him in the background, you know, doing rotundo things. He lives in the walls. Oh, okay. It's like uh, people <laughs> under the stairs. Um, so, yeah, that's like full-on COVID lockdown here in California. Everything's shut down again. Apparently... Governor Newsom said that there's going to be a, a full-on stay-at-home order if the capacity drops below 15%, the 15% threshold at uh, the intensive care units in the hospitals. 
And so Which it will. Well, it yeah. already has. It's a 12% now. Oh, right. Yeah. So now there's like, you know, it's like at the point where capacity is at such critical like levels that he's doing a full on like complete lockdown of the whole state. So everything's shut down, all bars, restaurants. I mean, you, you can still do takeout and you can go to essential places like grocery stores, but it's just like it was back in you know April. Does that mean there's like a travel ban as well? So you can't be going anywhere. You can't be leaving the state. <sighs> I mean, they, they say Thanksgiving was the super spreader event, but I, I don't know. I think you're not allowed to, I think you can travel within the state, but you're not supposed yeah. to be going interstate. Because I, I do think. know some states have closed their borders and you can't like leave, you know, and you can't leave or enter without like, you know, if you're going for work or something, but not for pleasure. That sucks. You, you know, it, it does kind of suck. And I think with, I wonder how this is going to affect uh, Christmas travel, because I'm sure people are still going to, you know. Oh, of course. They're still going to travel with their families. Yeah, people are idiots for traveling for fucking Thanksgiving, which is also a made up holiday. And people are idiots for traveling for Christmas, which is also a made up holiday. Like it doesn't, it won't kill you to miss both of those things every year. Who gives a fuck about seeing your second cousin called Bobby Joe for the first time? Just in like do it a over year? Zoom. Do it, I mean, do you know what? Cares? Or just don't fucking do it at all. It's that easy to not see your retarded family. Like it's just <laughs> that easy. This past week on Saturday, 9,218 cases were reported in one day. That Jesus. broke the single day record. Yeah. Well, we, over here, we've come out in the UK, we've come out of our lockdown. We're still like, what, us and Sweden have the like highest amount of cases, but Sweden have handled it very differently to us. And now we're all in like weird tiers. So like there's one, two and three tiers. And but how I, by geographic location? Like, is it like yeah, Northern to do England's with like, tier two? Yeah. Or? No, no, it's like by your county, which is like oh, a it's state. By county. So at the minute, where I'm, where I am, is tier two, which means the pubs are open if you want to go, but you've got to have a meal in there. You can't just go and hang out at a pub. Oh, we were but talking about all, this on the outtakes. Yeah. So substantial meals, like what they consider a substantial meal, it's kind of funny. Meal. Yeah. And then, the, but they're talking about going into tier three, which is basically lockdown, where everything is is closed again. Well, what were you, what was England like recently in? A full, like a tier three lockdown? Everything, yeah, everything was closed again and you were only supposed to go out for essentials. So I was going out to the shop for wine every night because that's an essential. <laughs> wow, but the pubs were shut down, the restaurants shut down. Everything shut down. They just shut the whole country down. And um, so now it's like it's depending on your area where you live and like how bad the COVID is. Ah, it fucking sucks. So what really sucks about it is, you know, hairdressers and tattoo artists. I was talking to my friend Joe Kelly about this. It's like you can't tattoo anymore. You, and mm -hmm. I think they're letting hairdressers operate at like 10% capacity or something. So, but I mean, bartenders are fucked like they're screwed like my brother you know hasn't been working since march his bar is completely shut down now like they're gonna have some bartenders come back working like an outside bar but i guess now it's completely shut down and they're not giving yeah. they're not giving any money like they're, they're not doing a stimulus package again because it's you know congress like can't stop can't can't agree on anything so there's been no should. stimulus passed and there's been no like corona aid so Essentially, my brother's getting like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars a week. That's it. Yeah. Which wow. you can't afford to live in a city on that. So oh, no. what's, what's happening is like, you know, people are trying to, um, 
you know, figure out creative new ways to make money, you know, especially people who work in the service industry. So I was talking to my sister and she was saying, I guess my cousin who I, I don't know, I don't really speak to any of my extended family. I mean, if I had a funeral, I'll see them, but I guess I have this one cousin, <laughs> um, who's a pretty fat guy. And, uh, he was working at a bar or a restaurant and now he can't. And so he's been trying to think of new creative ways to like make money. And one of the things he started doing was a nudist bike club. It's like a nudist right? bike. It's like, so it's a nudist group that you pay to be a member and you get together and he organizes like events, like a nudist bike ride or a nudist uh -huh. hike. And it's, it's all Corona friendly. Like you got to wear a mask and you're spaced out, but you're naked. Yeah. You can like, you can, you've got to have a mask on, but your balls are just swinging in there. <laughs> I, I was talking to my sister. I'm like, isn't that guy like 300 pounds? And he's just riding a bike, just butt naked. And she's like, the yeah. image of like testicles and like a penis on a bike seat is very unappealing to me. I can just see it. And now knowing that he's 300 pounds, it's like John Candy naked, <laughs> naked on, a on a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Who's doing this though? And the, the one, I mean, he lives in the Midwest, so it's fucking cold oh my god it's freezing what's he up to i don't maybe yeah. it's an indoor thing where they go like i mean oh, and there's spinning. other things but yeah. there's other things like oh you know i didn't even ask her about that maybe it's a naked spin class oh my can you imagine how disgusting that'll be you know what all the sweat and grossness i think it yeah. might be i'm gonna have to ask her about that it might be a virtual naked spin class but that he charges for do you reckon they're masturbating at the same time as this spinning? No, she no, she said it wasn't sexual. But she 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 went and had dinner with uh, my cousin who lives here and her and their mm. family. They were talking about it because it's her brother, and it's not sexual. It's like a club for lonely nudists, lonely and they do nudists. virtual things. And he's making money off it. You know, he's trying to. You know, and my brother, who uh, I don't really know what my brother would do unless he can get paid to play video games. And smoke meth i really know what my brother would do other than bartend because that's like the one skill he really is you know really has yeah. like he's he's an excellent bartender so he's been thinking of other things to do because you know times are getting desperate so my sister told me that he started working for postmates which is like <laughs> uber eats like delivering food mm -hmm. and i was thinking god that's gotta be like the worst job for my brother like the least likely to work out for my brother like, first of all, my brother is always late for everything. Second of all, he is so slow. Like, just walking up the street with him is aggravating because you're just, like, walking up the street and he's, like, you know, 10 feet behind you because he walks at, like, you know, an old man's pace. Well, that's ironic considering how much meth he's on. You think yeah, but a he's a fat guy. Pep in his step. Um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah so was, was he eating the Postmates then? But <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was wondering. I guess he, he got two orders. He only did it for... Uh, one day, he one day yeah, he did two out. orders. He he said he fucked up one of the orders, and the other order was so late that the guy like yelled at him that his food was oh, cold. And my yeah. brother, out of all this, like the forty minutes that he worked, he made four dollars. So he was Shit. like, "Fuck this!" He hates yeah. Postmates. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I I could imagine like a worse job for my brother. But he was thinking, "Well, I have a motorcycle; I can just drive around." But yeah, I, I mean, it's. He, At least I don't he's think he had, yeah, but I just don't think he has the, you know, the, the physical aptitude for it. Like, I, <laughs> right. I don't think like physically he's up for the job for this, but I don't know. And I bet you he took a bite out of every piece of food he delivered. 
I could see oh, that. Well, you do. When I when I was a waitress and I was very very young, when you used to have to take like especially chips, if you were carrying like a plate of food, you just steal on, a couple. You yeah, you take a couple of chips in the journey from the kitchen to the uh, to the floor. I what about Everyone this though? If it. you if it was like a you know like a half eaten plate of food, would you eat some of the chips that someone had previously like munched on? I probably have done it in my time, but I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably have. It's not a memorable that, memory for me. It's a sad moment for every server that you're so hungry that you're eating someone else's leftovers. Well, it's also probably just because you're on a Coke come down as well. If you're working in the service industry, you are fueled by cocaine. Well, I was telling my brother that, you know, he should look into like, I don't know, make like a video stream. Like he could do like a, trying to be a YouTube streamer or a Twitch streamer doing Twitch, video games. Yeah. You know, there's certain things you could do. You could be creative right now. You know, mm-hmm. who, like this kind of is a good segue into our topic. Probably one of the most creative musical geniuses that have existed in terms of, uh, you know, being a music producer. But Joe Meek, Joe Meek, who we're going to do an intro on here. Joe Meek wouldn't have just sat around being like, I'm going to do Postmates. He would have like been coming up with an insane, insanely creative musical production methods and techniques that no one had ever heard about, tinkering along and putting out these uh, you know, musical masterpieces. Yeah, he he would not have stopped. He would not he have stopped. He would not have been deterred by the COVID. Nothing really stopped Joe Meek until the end. Did it? Joe Meek was a you know, I wanted to cover this for a while. Um, I've been mm-hmm. thinking about covering this topic. I read about Joe Meek a while ago, and uh, you're f- you're very familiar with this music. So we were talking about like different intro topics that we could do, and I was like, you know, Joe Meek would be great because a lot of people don't know much about this guy. But in terms of like batshit crazy music producers, I would say he's above and beyond Phil Spector. He is the top. Yeah, <laughs> I think he he's the pinnacle, the pinnacle of batshit crazy but music producers. I also have a huge amount of sympathy for Joe Meek and his like his life what happened to him whereas for phil specter he was just an entitled fucking daddy's boy and just like well, an egomaniac mm, too i mean just yeah, an egomaniac an, an obvious egomaniac whereas joe meek joe meek was a very flawed human being and there were also and I, a lot of social circumstances that affected joe meek tons. and this you is know? such a good the other thing i love is this period of british history is just amazing all these like spider webs of people who cross over at this time it's great We're talking I like late it. 50s early 60s in the uk so yes clem uh, i read this cool quote clem Catini was the drummer of the tornadoes who had you know did the groundbreaking record Tailstar, which was like a mm-hmm. you know, breakthrough record i mean joe meek won awards for it um he said he was the drummer for the band he said that joe meek was never going to die a natural death and you could tell and uh yeah, it's true. I mean, just listen, reading about this guy's life and uh, you know his experiences and what he went through um, and who he was, you knew this guy was not going to die a natural death, and he definitely did not. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but you know, NME magazine said he was the greatest producer of all time. Do you think he so? was? Yeah, because his sound is so distinctive, and considering he couldn't play an instrument, the amount of songs that he wrote. And he wrote everything. He wrote yeah, the lyrics, wrote and produced the melodies, and produced it. He's fantastic. I have my my dad. He bought Telstar when it came out, and he said it because he was mind blown. How much is that worth? Uh, he has a well, it's an inch? original copy. I have it. He gave it to oh, me. Wow. It was the, one of the first the first record he ever bought, and he said that it was life changing the first time he heard it because he didn't know that music could be like that. 
Well, I think nothing, we, nothing nowadays, sounded like that at that time. Nothing sounded like that. He told, he changed music. Completely. And keep in mind too, he's not using like you know software sequencers. Pro Tools, he's not yes. using Ableton Live or Reason. Like he was making the sounds that you sample in Reason. And it's but all analog yeah. too, which like like as somebody who's like you know recorded music before, I totally believe that analog way better analog sound. recording is yeah. yeah far superior. The digital. People are gonna yeah. get mad that no, it's that. true though. I mean, it's you true. can. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to dork out about it, but it you can. You can see what digital sound lacks compared to analog just by looking at the totally. sound waves and what and what's yeah. missing, what's cut out. Um, mm-hmm. Although digital is a lot more convenient, you gotta you gotta admit that. Um, mm-hmm. So Robert George, quote nicknamed Joe Meek, was an English record producer, musician, sound engineer, and songwriter who pioneered space age and experimental pop music. I mean, he created his own sound, similar to Phil Spector, who did the Wall of Sound. But what you know, the Wall of Sound is more of a production technique. He created his own genre, Joe Meek. Yeah, he did. You know? And, uh, you know, he developed, he, he assisted in the development of recording practices like overdubbing, sampling, and reverberation that no one had used up until this point. Big fan, the echo, the reverb. He's a king of it. Well, yeah, he's one of the most, you know, considered one of the most influential sound engineers of all time. And some of the things, like one of his... Uh, biggest singles he produced and charting singles, I guess is uh, Johnny Remember Me by John Layton. Yeah. Is it John Layton or John Layton? Layton. Layton, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. I'll play a little clip. It's kind of a famous song here. It's a cool song. Great. But this is, yeah, like he wrote this, produced it. Kind of looks like Crispin Glover, this John Layton. Tiny as well, he's my height. Is he? Yeah. yeah. One hit wonder. Height size. Yeah. He was an actor too. Yeah, pretty cool, uh pretty cool mm-hmm. song. Catchy. Um very catchy. He also uh he also did uh, uh Just Like Eddie, which is um written by Heinz or recorded by Heinz. Performed Angela by Heinz. Or performed yeah. by Heinz, Heinz not written. Write. Yeah, not written. Yeah, Heinz did yeah. not write a goddamn thing. You're going to hear how much I hate Heinz all the way throughout this. Well, Heinz was kind of Joe Meek's lover, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Have I the Right by the Honeycombs is another hit. Um, yeah. and, but one of his, his probably is, I guess, the hit that put him on the, uh, the the musical chart here or musical map of Hall of Fame here was the uh, Tornado's instrumental hit, uh, Telstar. So yes. this is kind of cool. It's a weird song, like all these sounds. Like he, you know, he pioneered this sound. And it's just you think for the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's weird because you're thinking, like, how is he producing this? Like, how's he coming In up his with this? Flat. <laughs> yes. And I love like all the uh, the musical equipment he had, like all the analog equipment. Yeah. It's a famous song one. though. All those tube amps now that like people would be drooling over that cost thousands. Well, just I mean, he built his own uh, sequencers mm-hmm. and drum machines, moods. I guess he wasn't using moods, but since. But yeah, this is a famous song. So this is like uh, you know he won an award for this when uh, Telstar came out. Uh, written mm-hmm. and produced by Meek, it was the first record by a British rock group to reach number one in the U.S. Um, spent five weeks at number one in the UK. Uh, featured a 
clavillane, which is a keyboard instrument with a distinctive electronic sound, which nothing had, nothing had ever sounded like that at that time. Yeah. Um, he won a uh, Ivor Novello Award and sold over five million copies worldwide. Just that the single. Um, it's also Margaret Thatcher's favorite song. Do you know that? Are you joking? Is that was that her favorite song? Margaret Thatcher's favorite song. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Did they play it at her fucking funeral? She was being lowered into the ground. Da, na, 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 na. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's a, it's I guess that was her favorite song. It was insanely popular at the time. Oh, it was huge. You know? Yeah, but that's so random. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> he used the studio as his instrument taking mixing mm-hmm. desks apart, playing tapes backwards, adding like weird sci-fi inspired effects that he came up with, you know, um, with his various sequencers and, uh, you know, electronic instruments and things like that. Um, I guess uh, in his studio, he had people play guitar in the bathroom while they're singing yeah, on the fair. stairs just so he could get the sound, like the effect. Yeah, for like the tremolo kind of like reverby sound. He's very sonically blessed to be able to do all of this without knowing how to play. Yeah, he completed like a, a lot of people that were interviewed here and you know several uh, different articles I read were like, yeah, he was stupid when it came to musical instruments. Like he couldn't even play a single instrument. Yeah. But he could was just a genius in terms of sa- terms of sound production. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time of his death, I mean, he had like thousands of unreleased recordings. Um, and I guess they a lot released of them it. Still, well, no, they're all slowly still being released. Every couple of years, there'll be like another Joe Meeks compilation is released. I wonder who owns it. Like who? Uh, like if it's his family or? I would imagine so, and rights. I imagine, I imagine probably like the British government will own some as well because it's I, part of. A lot of these like, unreleased recordings are part of called the uh, the T-Chess tapes. But yeah, you're yeah. right. They've been yeah, they've been yeah. releasing. Uh, different unreleased records and recordings of his, like compilations. Um, but yeah, he died, you know, uh, tragically, uh, took his own life, but he also took the life of his landlady, uh, Violet Shenton. Um, and, and he Who was hasn't only, wanted he to was do only that, like though. 37. Oh yeah. They talk about yeah. wish, <laughs> wish fulfillment. So a little bit of background on uh, Joe Meek. You know, he was born uh, in uh, April, 1929, a sensitive, almost clairvoyant, child he was also brought up as a girl for the first four years of his life by a mother who had hoped for a daughter kind of like hemingway yeah wow yeah uh, and charles would... manson charles manson was sent to school in dresses really i didn't you know yeah. i never knew that oh huh. there you go explains a lot <laughs> um he was uninterested <laughs> in most boyish pursuits uh joe was called a sissy and left alone by most of his peers um, but I guess he with the difference though between him or between you know someone who would be a sissy and mild manners, he had a hair trigger temper. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, extremely volatile, and that lasted the rest of his life, and actually kind of exacerbated, you know, especially with his drug use later on. He does um, have a domineering personality. I'll put it. And you can, you can see you that as a producer. With. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and a lot of musicians who worked with him found that out. Um, so yeah, he developed an interest in electronics and performance art at a very early age. And I guess like he filled his parents' garden shed and, uh, I guess he lived in Gloucestershire. How do you say that? Try it. Gloucestershire. 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 Yeah. Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire Shire. You know who's from Gloucester? Fred and Rose West. (laughs) Oh, neighbors. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he filled his parents' garden shed with like borrowed electronic components, circuits, radios, um, and you know, he put these all together and experimented. Sounded like an early age in his teens. He also joined the uh, the RAF, Royal Air Force, worked as a radar technician. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, he left uh, the electricity board and after the RAF and he became an audio engineer working at uh, several uh, independent radio production companies, Radio Luxembourg. Um, yeah, he worked at uh, several different places at the time. And then I think he worked for Triumph Records. He you know, produced a lot of, uh, that's where he uh, did the number one hit, Angela Jones uh, by Michael Cox. Um, and, but I think what the problem with him is any label that he started, any, uh, most of the, the work he did when he was uh, working as a producer, he was kind of his own worst enemy. Like his temperament led to like the demise of like a lot of these jobs. Uh, he tried to launch a couple labels, um, nothing, nothing ever really worked out for him. And so scorned by like, you know, mainstream music labels, he launched his own thing and, uh, you know, started, uh, producing his own bands. And he worked with like some huge stars, who you know, bands and uh, musical performers who became huge. Like decades later, uh, Richie Blackmore, yeah, um, you know, who did a guitar solo on Heinz is just like Eddie. Richie Blackmore went on to form Deep Purple, Rainbow. Um, he worked with uh, Roger Glover, uh, the guitar whose guitarist uh, Steve Howe uh, joined. Uh, yes, yeah, or Steve Howe, I guess is what you say his name. I think people forget that during this time as well, there was so many musicians in London like because it was a two eyes coffee bar and like that's where everyone was hanging out it was like you know Cliff Richard and Paul Gard Vince Kings, Taylor yeah all those bands it, all of them were like so it was also like easy to be in that scene and to have them it's not like nowadays where like bands don't really like live near each other you can have like go to a city and have like certain scenes but it's definitely not like them I mean well, I like the internet's changed a lot of that. And, yeah, definitely. There's like Billy Fury and Adam Faith. They were all like coming in to record with Joe Meeks. And they all kind of worked. I mean, Crazy. it's very incestuous. I mean, they all worked on each other's yeah. records or they're in like mm-hmm. early variations of bands. And then like they left and then formed their own bands. You look at uh, like the move, you know, yeah. eventually becoming, um, you know, uh, ELO. It's like you see a lot of these mm-hmm. bands, like a lot of these band members work together and then just split and formed other huger bands like, you know, a decade later. Yeah. But a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of like yeah. famous musicians uh, work with Joe Meek. So Joe Meek's production company is called RGM Sound, later became Meeksville Sound. Um, Meeksville. Yeah. And he operated from his home studio, which he constructed at 304 Holloway Road in Islington. A 304 North flat. London, baby. North fucking London. Is it still there? Three or four. It how, is how still there. Run? It is still there. I was trying to find out um, what it last sold for, but I couldn't find that information out. But there is a video on YouTube where you can go and see what it looks like inside. But um, is it like a museum, or is it someone actually someone no, actually no, owns it and still, lives in the home? It's still like an apartment. People still live there. Huh? What a house to live in! I would a hundred percent live there. Oh God, the history though. So it's a three four a three floor flat above a leather goods store. Um but just hearing the description of this place, and I'll try to find some pictures to post uh to the site, but it was like a cramped flat littered with leads, wires, and other strange contraptions like throughout the place that he used for creating the echo and reverb effects. Um I mean some just like a spring on a plank of wood is what he got for the sound. Um there's 
barely enough room for uh, bands to squeeze inside to you know to, to play their music. Um, and as I mentioned before, some some sometimes he'd put the musicians to play guitar in the bathroom or yeah. percussion on the stairs. Uh, but yeah, that was his thing. It's like he would speed things up, pitch shift, modify compression and uh, equalization systems, uh, creating echoes and rafts and layered special effects and just noises. I mean, that's... And no one was doing this. No one. He was totally the first. I mean, you'd see Phil around. Spector kind of started doing this after after Joe Meek. And, yeah. and Phil, or Joe Meek thought Phil Spector stole a lot of his ideas. But then again, Joe Meek was also a crazy paranoid schizophrenic. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Um, one of the sounds that uh, Joe Meek did was he dropped a toilet chain in a rusty bucket to get an edgy percussive din. Like, the guy was I like, like really creative. I mean, that's, that's just weird. Um, uh, in an interview, someone was saying that it was his lack of talent that made him so talented. Like he couldn't play a single instrument, but he compensated for that for his, and for his, like he was poorly educated too, by becoming mm -hmm. more prolific and just creative when it turns into like, you know, the, the way he like led a session, he was like a, like a musical mad scientist. Yes, he was very like fascist about it is probably the word I would use. He was not, I've always had very good um, producers. I've always gone in, you know, it's all very nice. You like have tea and beer with them. I was certainly never getting shouted at the way that Joe Meek would like control. Well, you, it kind of, it reminds me of kind of how uh, you hear the Ramones talking about the recording of End of, End of the Century with uh, Phil yeah. Spector and like how Phil Spector would like put a gun to their head and would be screaming at them if they're doing something wrong. And they were like kind of scared. Like, what the fuck is this? You know, the, what is wrong with this guy? But that's my favorite Ramones album. But I tell you something about that album. Johnny Ramone is probably on it twice. That is not Johnny Ramone playing those songs. Johnny oh, Ramone who's playing does guitar not then? Play I tell you what, there's solos in some of those songs. Johnny Ramone does not play fucking solos. I wonder who he I had think, playing guitar. I think Johnny Ramone would have laid the basic tracks. And then after that, I think when he'd left, because the bad blood had started between him and Joey by then, I think Phil just would have got just somebody got a fill in. guitarist. And just fucking overdubbed his tracks. I totally think that, but I love that album. I even like Danny Says. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. Well, <laughs> Meek definitely uh, probably pioneered some of these like music intimidation techniques as well. Um, mm -hmm. In this, uh, the Holloway uh, flat, he recorded three UK number one singles, including Telstar and many other, you know, singles as well. Um, but all the while dealing with the ire of his neighbors, who would bash on the floor with a broom on a regular basis, telling him to shut up. And he would respond by taking the speakers, putting them on the stairwell and just cranking the volume up. Because I bet uh, he was a 24 hour person. Off. I bet oh. if he had an idea, he's going for it. Nothing's going to stop him. It's like well, 4 a.m. He was Joe also hopped up in, on like amphetamines on and black bennies and things like that. Black As business. everyone was back then. Yeah. Swinging 60s, baby. Oh, he had, I mean, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he did uh, Johnny Remember Me was a huge hit there. Good Death Diddy. Uh, the Honeycombs, Have I Have I the Right was uh, recorded there. Um and as you can imagine, I mean, he's got musical, you know, uh, performers coming in and out. They're recording all all hours of the night. You know, he's making all these weird sounds. His, his neighbors were ups, were pissed off about it. And his landlords, who lived downstairs as well, you know, felt that the noise was too much. And, uh, yeah, would complain. So he had, like, this contentious relationship with his landlord. 
You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm amazed that they didn't just like kick him out, but I guess maybe that didn't happen back then. Well, if he's paying the rent, they probably understand that he's a very eccentric man. Yeah. Okay. The minute you know, he's setting up a flat, I think that would be it. So we're going to get to some of the weird things about Joe Meek coming up because he's a weird man. Uh, but one thing I found, found kind of funny is uh, he was very outspoken about what he thought of other bands and uh, mm-hmm. up-and-coming artists. Um, one in particular, Brian Epstein, who is you know, the producer of the Beatles, he asked Joe Meek, because they you know, all kind of ran the same circle, um, he asked Joe Meek what his opinion is of the Beatles demo tape. Joe Meek listened yeah. to it and was like, don't bother signing them. Shite. <laughs> well, to be honest, I also agree with Joe Meek because the Beatles are pretty fucking shite. Um, the kinks of the band the Beatles could have been. And I would also, although Joe wanted to be successful, he liked making money. But I would have turned down the Beatles as well. I would have said they're shite because they are. Even John Lennon said the Beatles were shite. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, think about the amount of money they made. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think that was his prime motivator, you know? No. Um, but yeah, he was at first hated by the music establishment. And that's why he was kind of shunned by, uh, you know, commercial labels, just for his unorthodox sound and style. Nothing sounded like that. But then, you know, he kind of, he grew it, you know, became, uh, you know, very admired, almost like a cult following. Uh, mm-hmm. They said Phil Spector once actually called him to tell him how much he loved his music. And Meek uh, started yelling that uh, Spectre had stolen his secrets and he slammed down the, <laughs> the receiver of the phone down so hard that he cracked the phone. Um, I bet Phil loved that. I bet <laughs> Phil, because Phil had a weird taste and style. But I find it weird that Phil Spectre was like nowhere near as popular in America as he was over here. Because like over here, it was like. To me. I thought that was odd yeah. too. Yeah, it was like, because it was a very big part of like the mod versus rocker movements. All the mods listened to him. Um, Phil Spector songs. Yeah, Phil the Spectre... Renettes were huge over here. The Renettes, the Renettes weren't as massive in America as they were over here. Yeah, one, didn't they do One Fine Day? Was it the Renettes? Uh, yeah. I yeah, thought that was a huge. That was a huge song, and so was. Uh, yeah. And didn't uh, Phil Spector produce like some of the Motown greats, like the Supremes? Yeah, maybe later on he did the Supremes. I'm not so sure about that. I think but he the definitely. Renettes were huge. Yeah, Remember they no, opened for Rolling Stones and they came over here and. That probably just made their career. But a lot of there are a lot of bands like that that, you know, I think just because England at the time is such a vibrant rock scene, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, America was still kind of slow to really, you know, I think at the time, I mean, we didn't have like, we had Elvis, but we didn't have like the Beatles, you know, the Stones. Yeah, all those 60s girl groups. They're they're all great. I love them all. But they were were definitely a bigger part of our culture than I think they were in America. And we had like Wigan Casino and all of that. Like, what a great time period. But so Meek shunned overtures from the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and even a teenage David Bowie. Oh, <laughs> like, he turned out Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he ordered one band who he had been producing, uh, the Moon Trackers, to fire their lead singer, Rod Stewart. Joe said to him you look fucking awful you're ugly you're short you sound terrible fuck off right so my dad was in a band in the early 70s and he used to have he used to share a practice space with a band called Earth who later became Black Sabbath Black Sabbath yeah but my dad said that one day he went out like Tony was like oh come on down to practice later I want you to meet our new lead singer 
so my dad went down he listened to like you know the tail end of the practice and Tony was like so what do you think of the new lead singer and my dad was like oh he he's pish you're gonna get nowhere with him Tony he's awful Ozzy and it was fucking Ozzy wasn't it <laughs> and like they moved Black Sabbath moved to London and like six months later my dad's band moved to London to go and be with them but like yeah Ozzy is one of the most famous singers of all time my dad loves telling that story <laughs> um your dad was probably drunk at the time um but He's yeah definitely on acid at the time yeah <laughs> the, the moon trekkers uh did get rid of rod you know based on uh joe meek's mm-hmm. suggestion here and uh they released uh the seance inspired single night of the vampire which the bbc oh, banned yeah. for being unsuitable for people of a nervous disposition <laughs> uh, meek also fashioned the chilling sounds of the infamous screaming lord such um, and I think we played Jack the Ripper on the show before, uh, but mm-hmm. I want to. I just want to play the beginning. Kind of a famous song. His lordship will be celebrating his 56th birthday tomorrow. Good night. I don't have any Screaming Lord such a vinyl. It's not worth it. The singles are good. It's a great song though. Yeah. We played this on the show before, um, but he also did this song, which is kind of cool. Till the following night. Which is mm-hmm. a Scream Lord such song. But what's cool about this is the, uh, the the sounds that he sampled. And he used to get the, like, he used to go to graveyards. Oh, yeah. And that's get these noises. Hobby. Yeah, this he is like wind in a cemetery. Yeah, his favorite thing to do. It's a cool song, 1961. Scream Lord such and the Savages. I wonder if it's Highgate Cemetery he would have gone to. It's only up the road. He was really into horror and sci-fi, and you can see the influence of his music. Yeah. But just, I mean, just the sound. It's like, that's the thing. He captured the ambience of the music. I don't know if Screaming Lodge Such is still a politician anymore. I know because he's dead now, isn't he? But, like, yeah, the Monster Raving Looney Party is a great British political party. Did he ever actually, I mean... Did he ever no, like influence like, any legislation? You, know, you, you like you vote for them as like a kind of vote for anarchy because I think he wants. He's like, I'll legalize all drugs, I'll legalize prostitution. There'll be no laws. <laughs> it's like kind of what he wants. But he's a he's very, uh, he's a very eccentric British man. Screaming lots such. So kind of how we were uh, talking about how um, Joe Meek would kind of freak out on people, you know, it's very domineering as a uh, producer kind of similar to phil specter with uh with the ramones here's a good clip of uh joe with screaming lord such recording dracula's daughter and you can hear you can hear how exacting he is of what he wants like he has a vision and you cannot divert from this vision um pretty cool clip though i've always been interested in so here's joe intrigued with horror films and at the time horror films are the biggest selling box office attraction so I thought, whatever, this is the idea thing. Uh, to really go macabre, if I put um, rock and roll to horror, I must have a, a top teenage product, which I did have. I mean, think of the misfits. Punk rock and horror. Yeah. Yeah. Cramped. This is Dracula's Daughter, which I think we played this song as well. <laughs> You 
can see his face. He's just pissed off. Sorry, no. Is that the level you want to give? Yes. Well, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Right. It's a bit over the top. Okay. Well, well, Went a bit over weird. Over the top. Yeah. Well, shall, shall I call it a bit? No, just like that. Okay. He's kind of actually somewhat calm there. Uh, I think he's holding it back for the fact that Beeb is in the room with him. <laughs> you know he would have gone in the room and be like, do it again. <laughs> 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 that guy tried to become a politician. That's great. He is a politician. He was. But the monster raving loony party has been going a long time. Did you ever time. vote for him? Uh, no, not to my knowledge. But I know people who do. I think it's funny when people vote for them. Why not? I think it's great that you have more than two parties. Um, mm -hmm. Meek became fascinated with the idea of communicating with the dead. I mean, he was already very influenced by sci-fi and horror and obviously used a lot of those elements in his music. But he would set up tape machines in graveyards to record voices from beyond the grave. Um, in this clip I'm about to play, he captured the meows of a cat that he believed was a ghost cat <laughs> speaking in human yeah. tones, asking for help. So he used to go to the Wardley Leah Farm, which is okay. uh, where he did a lot of ghost hunting expeditions. And uh, he felt that this cat was possessed by the spirit of the farm's former owner. So here's a guy, one of his recording engineers, talking about the experience of recording the ghost cat. Um, <laughs> pretty amazing. Uh, well, we used to come to locations like this, um, in this particular graveyard. One reason was that Joe wanted to capture sounds like he used on Screaming Lord Such's record till the following night. And the other reason was that he wanted to, he hoped to capture sounds of the supernatural sounds people from the, the other dead. side and uh one time we came across this cat and it seemed to talk in half human tones he recorded <laughs> that on his portable tape recorder this is great and uh we've still got that for posterity hello, hello. <laughs> This guy was so hopped up on Benny's that he thought he was like communicating with a ghost cat. And he's got like subtitles like, help me, help me. This is what he thinks the cat's saying. Help me. <laughs> he's talking to it. Yeah, this guy liked it, liked his drugs. But he was also really into the occult. People said he was a Satan worshiper. Yeah. Um, he held seances to communicate with his dead heroes like Buddy Holly. Buddy um, Holly was his number one. He, yeah, that was, he was like obsessed. his spirit guide. He used to um, like pray and ask Buddy Holly for help. <laughs> and it would be like Buddy Holly like specifically who he was asking for help, the dead Buddy Holly. Yeah, he I was obsessed him. with Buddy Holly. Isn't there a story as well about him that he predicted Buddy Holly's death? Oh, I don't think I heard that. Yeah, he it's much he like gonna, how... He was going to die in the plane? Yeah, much like how Alec Guinness predicted James Dean's death. I think uh, there is a story that Joe Meek knew Buddy Holly was going to die in a plane crash. Like, he had a premonition, a dream, 
like the week before and he tried to get a message to buddy we tried to like like contact his uh like his producers and be like don't let him fly in yeah probably in those days you know wrote a letter and sent it by pigeon (laughs) don't let him fly with the big bopper texas yeah not the big you know it was probably the weight of the uh, big bopper that actually brought the plane plane down you know the other fact i know about that is waylon jennings was meant to be on that plane yeah and he gave up his because he was sick, wasn't and he? He survived. Uh, yeah, but the last thing that Waylon Jennings said to Buddy Holly, because Buddy, because they were all on a tour bus together and it was freezing cold, and Buddy said, "Oh, I hope you uh, enjoy, you know, being on the bus." And Waylon was like, "Yeah, well, I hope your plane crashes." And it and the did. Plane crashed. Yeah, I heard the uh, Buddy Holly. Waylon had it. guilt till the day he died. I heard mm-hmm. uh, Buddy Holly hired a chimpanzee as a pilot. Which is never a good idea. I don't know if you, know if you read that. <laughs> was it an orangutan in negligee? <laughs> um, Joe Meek was also, uh, you know, heavy into fantasy. Um, I guess uh, he would draw <laughs> illustrations of pixies, ghouls, and goblins that danced through his mind. And in his record, I Hear a New World, which is a 1960 concept album, highly recommended, actually, if you can find it. Um, it's about a man's first encounter with alien life forms. And he has these creatures that he made up called the Globbits, which he said is the sound of happy, jolly little beings. Yeah. Um, and, and they parade before us in their cheeky blue faces. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, this guy was the definitely... The Globbits sounds like a terrible nickname for sperm. Like somebody would be like, oh yeah, Globbit, lick it up. Lick up my Globbit. Well, listen, listen to the sound of the Globbits that he captured here. And uh, I Hear a New World, oh, an outer space music fantasy. It's a weird record. Imagine listening to this on that. I would. It'd be a good one. If it, had I known about this album back when I took acid. Oh, fuck. I just took acid last week. <laughs> I want what Joe Meek was on. That's what I want. Yeah, this album is, is really weird. I hear a new world. Joe Meek's space concept record. Do you know what I'm going to do? Christmas Day. This is my Christmas Day plan, okay? I'm going to get me some acid. I'm going to get me that album. I'm going to have a fucking really good Christmas Day. I mean, the whole album's on YouTube. To the world, but... baby. Yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. That's what I'm doing Christmas fucking day. Enjoy your fucking sappy day with your sappy families, people. <laughs> so bitter over there. I'm Bobby with the Globbits. Did you get diddled on Christmas by your drunk dad or something? <laughs> by Santa. Yeah, by Santa? man calling himself Santa. <laughs> your drunk dad was dressed up in a Santa outfit. <laughs> hey, drunk dad was a lot of things, but a diddler he was not. <laughs> So Joe Meek was obsessed with Buddy Holly. He said that the uh, late American rocker communicated with him directly in his dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was uh, I mean, he was a weird guy. He, he said he was like in regular contact with Buddy Holly. Like they'd have regular, you know, conversations. Yes, you know, yeah. Like on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Blackwell, who arranged a lot of the uh, the music on Johnny Remember Me, said that he felt Joe was scarier than Phil Spector. He said he was a split personality. He believed he was possessed and had another side that was very polite with a good sense of humor, but he was a very complicated man. 
Uh, me terrified. Um, Andrew Lou Goldham, who said he looked like a real mean queen teddy boy, and his eyes were yeah. riveting. But yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like by the end, towards the end of his career, you know, which he died at a young age, only thirty-seven. His fascination yeah, with the occult years older than me. and the yeah. paranormal and everything took over his life, especially the deterioration of his mental health. Um, he started believing that his flat contained poltergeists. Aliens were substituting his speech by controlling his mind. And he felt that the photographs all around his Holloway studio were, uh, were trying to speak to him. And so, This is my plan for what's going to happen to me in 2021. Bring it on. I mean, he was, you know, they said he had bipolar disorder. They said he had schizophrenia. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he thought there were like hidden microphones in his wallpaper trying to steal his idea. You know, different yeah. ideas. He was, uh, you know, he would scream at people, just like go off the hinges. I mean, off the rails. I mean, the guy was insane. Uh, extreme mood swings, depression. Uh, one of the here's a um, one of his uh, assistants who was saying how, and they, or this is an interview where he's actually this isn't this is a little later on. Got a clip from one of his assistants, but this is an interview he did with the BBC saying that how he has to watch everybody like a hawk because he doesn't trust anyone. Again, I met with a lot of difficulties because I kept coming up with hits and uh, good ideas. The A and R men and different people uh, tied to these major companies were inclined to be a little bit envious and um, complain about the plugs my records were getting, and uh, uh, so I had a. I have to watch these people like a hawk. Yeah. He um, definitely was a was a bit paranoid there. My advice, my advice to Joe would be like, you know what, Joe, just have like one day a month where you're not taking speed. You will feel better. Just like, just don't take speed like one Sunday out of the month, Joe. Well, okay? he was addicted to speed, and then I know, not he to like mention, never stopped. Yeah, and yeah, coupled with the stuff. mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Well. I think a lot of that is uh, brought on by the speed, to be honest. Especially yeah, back then, people underestimate how fucking strong the speed was. It was like this. Well, it's like pharmaceutical rhythm. speed, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is exactly. like he wasn't doing meth made out of some, you know, rednecks' bathtub. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, like his life started spiraling out of control. I mean, he had psycho psychotic delusions, very unpredictable. I couldn't imagine like working with this guy. Uh, there's a famous story that uh, he once held a loaded gun to Jimi Hendrix drummer Mitch, Mitch Mitchell um, for an entire take, you know, giving his playing a little more edge. He said he wanted a sound, um, you know, that, that, that was a bit more edgy oh, than what he was producing. Fear. Yeah. Yeah, the um, sound, sound of fear as you play drums, please. Did he also hold a shotgun to like Richie Blackmore's head? He did. Richie Blackmore wasn't playing exactly what Joe Meeks uh, did. So he held the gun at him and was like, play it. You better play it in the next take or I'm going to fucking shoot you. And uh, Richie Blackmore pissed his pants, but he played the solo and it was exactly what Joe Meeks wanted. So. <laughs> and Richie pissed Blackmore his pants, Blackmore. Pants. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's also a very little man, another little man. He's about my height. It's like Dio's height. And is he taller than height. Dio? Richie Blackmore. Blackmore. No, Richie Blackmore is like a little, he's like, yeah, he's about my height. We could all, oh my God, me, Danzig, Richie Blackmore, and Dio. I don't care which one's dead or alive. We should all form a band. During this time, Joe Meek, you know, 
was obviously off his nuts. I mean, the guy was mm-hmm. like, he was batshit crazy, psychotic delusions, everything. He refused to use the studio telephone for important communications because he felt his landlady was eavesdropping on all of his calls through the chimney. And he felt that uh, he could control the minds of others with his recording equipment and that he could, and that he could monitor his acts while away from the studio through supernatural means. So, I mean, he was completely insane. I think a a huge portion of this, not only the mental health issues, but he was like a recreational drug user. I mean, he used uh, lewds, downers, benzos, methamphetamine. I mean, he used, uh, you know, especially like heavily used methamphetamines that uh, to the point where he would just fly into volatile rages with little or no Mm -hmm. provocation. And trash his flat, wouldn't he? He'd yeah, he'd just stuff. smash his equipment. I mean, he would just fly off the handle at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. One of the other things about him that's another interesting uh, component of his character, but I also think kind of leads to the, the tragic end of uh, Joe Meek, uh, was he was a homosexual at a time when homosexuality was illegal in the U.K., mm-hmm. so I imagine he Very was under a lot of pressure. Well, well, I think it's yeah. kind of like how, you know, we consider pedophiles today it was the same kind of thing. I mean, it was like, you know, disparage the point. Like if you're a homosexual, you're considered as evil as a pedophile is today. Yeah. I mean, uh, for a second, off. I thought you were comparing pedophiles to homosexuals. No, I mean, kind of the attitude that we had towards pedof- <laughs> yeah. pedophiles and pedophilia. We had that for homosexuals at that time. You so, are I mean, correct, yeah. Yeah, which, which would have been horrible. I mean, think about the, the pressure you had to live. Not to mention, he was afraid his mother would find out about his sexual orientation. So he kept it all hidden, that. yeah. I mean, he was mm-hmm. definitely a bit of a mama's boy. Um, but he, he felt that his homosexuality was a deep source of shame, which obviously society is telling you to feel this way. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he... Uh, and the other interesting thing, too, is... At the time, so he was leading, you know, a closeted life as a homosexual. Uh, he also, you know, later on would, would get caught doing uh, the George Michael thing, um, going out cottaging, um, yeah. which was probably pretty common at the time. But what was interesting is I was reading, a, a, it was an article written by John Savage, who wrote English Dreaming, and he was talking about the Velvet Mafia, which is the gay mafia that existed at that time in uh, British show business and pop music. And what it, what it did is that the music industry offered gay men and women a reasonably safe haven at a time when homosexuality was completely legal. And so, you know, there are a lot of like, you know, in the music industry, you'd be going to parties with gay people and it was like you could be out within the gay, you know, you can be outwardly a homosexual, but within the music industry and people thought it was cool. But in society, yeah. you'd be persecuted. You of know? Um, yeah. But so, uh, you know, there are several people like Brian Epstein, you know, the Beatles manager, uh, was completely outwardly gay, um, even though, you know, this was never disclosed during his lifetime. But yeah, I mean, he was, uh, you know, he would he would talk about being gay. He was openly gay, um, whereas Jimmy like, tried to hide it. Yeah. And he did. Brian wasn't going out cottaging, though. And Joe Meek, Joe Meek liked the kinkiness of cottaging, I think. Yeah, I think the danger definitely of it was definitely appealing to him. But they say in like with uh, yeah. Joe uh, Orton, I mean, there was like kind of like this sort of mutual support system with like the the closet gays within the music industry at the time. Um, yeah. But uh, 
so yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about it, it's like, I wonder, I do wonder about like the shame and the pressure he felt if that just kind of, if he exerted, like sublimated a lot of those, those feelings of pressure into his music and that's what, but also you could say that maybe that fueled his paranoia and his drug obsession as well. I think it all did. It all played hand in hand together for sure. Cause it, yeah, you would go to jail back then. It was like how Oscar yeah. Wilde went to jail for being gay. It, this is only this like is in 50, the 60s. What, 60 years. Yeah. This is like 50 years ago. We've come a long way, baby, since then. But you can't imagine what it would have been like to have felt. And it was also when it would have come out that you were homosexual, You, you everything's ruined for you. Yeah, you'd be ridiculed. The whole life. You'd be arrested. You'd be, you'd be, be imprisoned. Um, but mm-hmm. worst of all, I mean, you could be blackmailed for being a homosexual, yeah, which, which is uh, which something that did happen to Joe Meek. So yeah. he's very, I mean, he, he was haunted the, by the fact that his uh, emotional and sexual orientation was illegal. And it definitely bothered him. Um, but yeah, in 1963, November 1963, he was arrested for cottaging, which is uh, basically going cruising and having sex in like a, a Yeah, you know, I was about to say toilet. what you call it in America. It's cruising, isn't it? It's just cottaging cruising. is a much... Cottaging's a much better term. I like cottaging. It's a weird term. Where does it come from? I think of like cottage no cheese or something. Yeah. <laughs> or like a cottage, yeah. like a little cottage, you know? You go into, yeah, maybe because like the public toilets that you go cottaging in look like little cottages. It's quite but, cute, isn't it? <laughs> so he got caught in a public toilet and news of his conviction uh, made the front page. And his friends were baffled because Joe could have any young man he wanted you know, as they were all queuing up to be recorded by him. Uh, but he, you know, he actually liked the risk of going out cottaging. You yeah. Know? I think my brother says the same thing. Uh, he was fined <laughs> 15 pounds um, for importuning for immoral purposes in a London public toilet. I wonder how much 15 pounds is today. Do you think it's like 500? Equivalent to 316 pounds in 2019. Oh, I was yeah. pretty close, isn't it? Oh, close. wow, cool. Uh, but con- I am con- good at maths. <laughs> Consequently, he was subject to blackmail for a lot of this. Um, he did. He was involved with a guy who wasn't necessarily gay, but um, Heinz Burt, who was, oh, I guess, sort of his boyfriend at the time. Why do you hate Heinz Burt so much? I hate Heinz because he emotionally manipulated Joe for his own greed. I've read nothing but bad things about Heinz. So like, obviously they would go on tours together and be long tours across England where you're playing shithole after shithole after shithole every night. And they all hated him. He was a mean-spirited, horrible man. And he would also emotionally blackmail um, Joe Jamaica. and say, give me 50 quid or I'm gonna go and tell the papers that you're a bufty. Give me 50 quid. And he was doing this to a man who is clearly losing his grasp on reality. He's just he's just an awful person. I do not like Heinz. Definitely an opportunist. Just, and Heinz Burt. So yeah. Heinz Burt was and he's like not a good. Yeah, but he was either. a young, young, pretty guy, bleach blonde. He was a bit he was kind of Joe Meek's protege a bit. He was the the was. German bass player in the band The Tornadoes, who did a Telstar. Um you know, uh, it was, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second, but he, he mm-hmm. kind of uh, just foreshadowing the, sh- you know, the shotgun that Joe used to kill himself did belong to uh, Heinz Burt. You know that? I did not know that. And that's like no. another thing 
why I do not like Heinz. <laughs> and I'm glad he's dead. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But so uh, Joe Meek and Heinz lived together. Um, and, uh, you know, they definitely were, were having an affair. But Heinz wasn't gay, you know, according to what you know, his band member said. But he did what he had to do. So, you yeah, know, he was, he was a gay for pay. He was an opportunist. There's nothing wrong with that, but he was emotionally manipulating Joe, who was 100% in love with him. And like Joe wanted to like, you know, go and get a house and live with Heinz. And Heinz used all this to his advantage. He was like, Yeah, he was a hustler. He was a mean fucker. Yeah, he was, he was a hustler, hustler, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he was just doing it for his own gain. Uh, so this is a kind of interesting thing, which I didn't really read anywhere else, but John Savage is mentioning that the Tornadoes released their last record with Joe Meek in 1966. And it was a seven inch, uh, with a song called, is that a ship I hear uh, on one side? And then the other side was Britain's British pop's first out and out gay classic. It was a song called, do you come here often? Um, and so what's interesting is, uh, so they, the, the song Is That a Ship I Hear actually kind of became a huge hit. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard this one, but it's like a seaside little ditty. I have. <laughs> yeah, he samples like seagulls and waves. That's, that's, why, that's why I admire so much about this guy's music. He's created an ambience with the sound. He did. It's like the Shangri-La's walking in the sound. So this was a pretty huge hit for him, but it's the B side of this record uh, that I want to point out. And so the song "Do You Come Here Often" is kind of it's a major achievement. Nothing really ever you know sounded like this, but they have he has a scene kind of like there's a scene in the end where they're in a toilet in a London gay club, and these two gay guys are having a conversation. Um, but check it out; it's kind of funny. So the song is, you know, it's instrumental like most of the tornadoes, but this is uh, 1966, Do You Come Here Often? It's kind of funky. So he samples this uh, conversation here. Do you come here often? Only when the pirate chips go up here. Me too. <laughs> well, I see pajama style shirts are in there. Kind of hard to understand well, them. Pajamas are out. As far as I'm pajamas concerned, are anyway. out. Who cares? Well, I know of a few people that do. Yes, you would. Wow. He's still coming now. What do you think? <laughs> mm. So it's just two gay men hanging out in a public toilet, in a toilet, in a, in a, in a gay bar. Um, yeah, commenting about people. how pajamas are out. But I mean, if you think about it, though, homosexuality was illegal at the time. So it was just kind of like a, a rebellious act to even release something like this. Oh, you completely. Know? To sneak and, it into, under the public eye as well. Well, homosexuality had been hinted at in some mainstream records, like, I guess, Donovan's I'll Try for the Sun or The Kinks' See My Friends. Mm -hmm. um, but no one had actually, you know, been that brazen with it, and actually had like a, a gay man's conversation in a, uh, <laughs> in like a in a toilet in a London gay club. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was he was uh, definitely a, you know a pioneer, just a visionary um, mm -hmm. at the time. So yeah, by mid nineteen sixty six, you know, this is the last record to the Tornadoes. Um, Meek's mental state was definitely worsening. 
uh, people say that, uh, you know, the Jekyll overtook the Hyde. And he was running into a lot of money troubles at the at the time, too. Um, you know, he was being sued for the, uh, you know, the, uh, the song Telstar. Um, French composer Jean Ledru accused him of plagiarism, claiming that the melody of Telstar had been copied from one of his records or one of his songs. Um, yeah, a score I, that he had written for the it. film Austerlitz, and so there's a lawsuit. So that lawsuit meant that Joe Meek didn't receive any royalties from the record during his lifetime. So, wow. yeah, I mean, towards the well, end, he was running into like some major financial issues. That's kind of like what's happened with John Fogerty from CCR. Up until a certain point, I think from like the late seventies to early nineties, he didn't receive a single royalty for a CCR song. It's kind of insane. Of fantasy records. When you think about how how much money like fortunate songs yeah, but, made. Yeah, but that was a, a dispute with a record label. This is like a guy claiming that he plagiarized him, and so there's a lawsuit that uh you know that went on for the entire time yeah. that, that he was so Meek didn't make any money from it, but the issue ended up being resolved in Meek's favor. Three weeks after his death. Yeah, and so that's when he got the royalties. Too late, anyway. yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of tragic if you think about it, you know? The richest um, man in the graveyard. So during this time, like he was having money troubles, declining fame, you know, that obviously upped his uh, drug usage. Apparently, he was beaten up by some gangsters, famous gangsters, who also threatened him because they wanted to take over the management of the tornadoes. The brothers Cray, the Cray brothers. Oh, lovely! Yes, the famous uh, London gangsters um, did. They actually trashed his uh, prized Ford Zodiac. Um, they also threatened him um, and kind of tried to try to blackmail him. And during this time, I mean, obviously, you know, some of his paranoia was justified. He's got a head full of uh, speed. Um, he was being screwed over by Hines. You know, he was losing mm -hmm. his money. Meanwhile, he can't pay his rent on his flat. And to make matters worse, January 1967, police in Suffolk discovered two suitcases containing the mutilated body parts of a man named Bernard Oliver, a young gay boy. <laughs> um, and so they started questioning every gay man or any known gay figure. Well, who was just recently busted for cottaging? Joe Meek. So uh, yeah. they uh, interviewed, they, I mean, they said they're going to interview all the gay men in London, uh, but they interviewed <laughs> Joe Meek and uh, it just, it tipped him over the edge, you know, being, uh, well, being associated with the suitcase murder, even though he had nothing to do with it at all, you know, uh, yeah. it tipped him over the edge. Apparently, so this happened in uh, 1967, Bernard uh, Oliver was a young British warehouse worker um, from North London, he disappeared, and his remains were found 10 days later. Uh, his body had been cut into eight pieces and left into two su suitcases. Um, you you know, think his... he worked in a cock ring factory, too? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. He probably would have loved yeah. that. Mm, I um, bet he did. <laughs> the case received widespread media attention. Never, uh, never resolved. Like, they never solved this murder. Still unsolved, Just yeah. Still because, unsolved. well, especially at the time, they're not going to be wanting to solve this murder of a gay man when well, attitudes towards gay people were, you know, unsavorable. Um, police also unable to identify the body. Uh, they uh, took the unusual step of releasing a photograph of the severed head, which yeah, no one did at the time. Page. But a couple of people yeah. that they interviewed, so they interviewed Joe Meek because obviously he had just been caught cottaging. Um, but they also interviewed Ronnie Cray. The gangster, uh, you know, who's who, along with his brother mm -hmm. uh, Reginald, Bisexual. 
Yeah, uh, Ronnie Cray was uh, supposed to be. Was he gay or was he bisexual? He was bisexual, but I wonder if Ronnie and Joe might have maybe had a thing. Maybe because they were similar ages. Well, they say Ronnie blackmailed. Well, the Cray brothers blackmailed him. Yeah. So there you go. Could be like a a secret we'll never know that Ronnie Cray and Joe Meek had a little tryst. A former cellmate of uh, Ronnie Cray's, Pete Gillette, claimed that Cray had also confessed that he had murdered young Bernard. He said the victim was a young gay boy. I don't, know I if don't believe that. Proven. Ronnie was a lot of things, but like a mutilating murderer, he was not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Um, that'd be an interesting topic. We should look into that. Uh, yeah, so, Meek, you know, at this point, he'd walk everywhere outside the studio wearing sunglasses. He was being, he was feared, like he feared being recognized by any of the local gangsters. Um, he thought, you know, the Cray twins were trying to steal his axe, like the tornadoes, or blackmail him regarding his homosexuality. Um, you know, he was definitely at this point, this is like the height of his paranoia. Um, apparently when, uh, the Cray gangster twins, Ronnie, um, demanded to take over management of the tornadoes, Joe told them to fuck off, which is not fuck really off. what you say yeah. to the Crays. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. I admire him though, standing up to the Crays, but the Crays probably admired him for standing up to them as well. So um, this is on February 3rd, 1967, which was the day, the anniversary of Buddy Holly's death. The pressures kind of just got to, uh, to um, Joe Meek here. He uh, definitely went a bit off his rocker, got a little bit, uh, just went over the edge. I think just with all the pressures just kind of surmounting to this point, uh, just tipped him over the edge. And he felt today was the day he was going to meet the spirit of Buddy Holly. And so uh, he killed his landlady, Violet Shenton, and himself with a single-barreled shotgun they had confiscated from his former protege, Tornado's bassist, Heinz Burt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Meek, I guess, well, apparently what happened is uh, Violet Shenton um, went up to, uh, was upset that, you know, about the noise levels and that he owed back rent, so she went to confront him, and uh, he flew into a rage, took the gun, and, uh, yeah, and just shot her. Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> to yeah. old landlords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then afterwards, he uh, turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Here's a clip from uh, Joe's assistant talking about his final day. Well, Joe was up in the studio. Tapes were playing loud. And he put his head over the bass and shouted, tell Mrs. Shenton to come up and see me. About five minutes later... Mrs. Shenton came up. She came over to me just outside the office. Uh, she, she said, is he in a bad mood again? I said, yeah. Because... Is he in a bad mood? He's <laughs> always not... in a bad mood. I know. I'd probably try to avoid him in any mood. Careful. Yeah. She said, oh, okay, I'll go up and sort it out. Don't worry, you'll be all right. And with that, she went up the stairs. I went back into the office, sat down at the desk, and all of a sudden... I've rushed on my feet, literally as I've gone out into the corridor, Mrs. Shenton's tumbling down the stairs. I literally caught her in my arms, and she's landed on the floor with me. As she did, she she sort of turned over, and I could see that there was damage to her back with loads of smoke coming out. My first reaction was to shout to Joe, who was watching from the landing upstairs, she's dead. 
and he looked at me stony-faced with a gun in his hand and I tried to make my way up the stairs to Joe but I never made it that far I only made it about halfway up the stairs of that when Joe had reloaded and took his, his own head off just blew his own head off mm. wow oh Joe Joe well you knew you knew he wasn't gonna have a natural death that guy you know no but it's still like yeah it's still so young 37 he was only 37 years old and three weeks after they ended up settling the lawsuit in Joe Meek's favor about Telstar so he got all those royalties he would have been out of he would have been out of debt he got all the royalties been, from that yeah. song that sold 5 million copies worldwide had he just waited three weeks you know um the Sexual Offenses Act, which became law right at the end of July 1967, decriminalized homosexuality in Britain. So it allowed for the existence of gay, social, and sexual relationships, and it removed the threat of blackmail, you know, and allowed, uh, you know, mm -hmm. gay people to live, you know, as a, and, and, you know, and be open about their sexual orientation. So really, you know, it is tragic that he died right before all of these social changes, and the fact that he would have been, you know, monetarily successful, you know, with that. Yeah, with that, and, he, and he would have been a part of it. Would have, well, he was a part of, like, the changes in homosexuality laws here. But he would have, could have been a figurehead for it. It's a shame. It is a shame. But at the same time, I mean, he obviously, you know, had a lot of issues. You know, borderline. Yeah. Um, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. He had, like, drug addiction issues. So who knows what might have happened. But really cool... It, I mean, just an amazing uh, musical genius and what he did for music yeah. and what he's done for like electronic music, like decades later, still being influenced. I definitely think you should check out his music. We're going to end the show um, a little later with uh, one of his songs that he wrote and produced by Gene Vincent, Temptation Baby. Um, yeah, this is my favorite Joe Meeks song. Yeah, my so favorite. that's coming up. Yeah. And, you know, you can still, uh, you can go visit his uh, grave in Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. <laughs> um, but yeah, his uh, black granite tombstone can be found near the middle of the cemetery. You ever been there in Newent Cemetery in Newent, Gloucestershire? No, but I would. I would go totally go see him if I was in the area. One of my, like Joe Meeks, one of my favorite hobbies is um, going to graveyards and looking around. Do you so bring like, uh, do you sure. record sounds to your iPhone? No, but maybe I should start doing that. I usually take um, lipstick and we'll kiss all my favorite graves. I've done that for a long time. <laughs> you know, uh, if you go to Hollywood Forever and go to Dee Dee Ramone's grave, it's just covered with lipstick. Can you imagine how much herpes is on He's, that fucking yeah. tombstone? Johnny is my favorite, so I would kiss Johnny. Would His kiss also Dee has Dee. a lot of uh, a lot of lipstick yeah. on it, too. Well, I've Probably kissed Oscar Wilde's grave. I've kissed Oscar Wilde's grave at least five times in my life now. So I don't even want to know. French. I don't even want to know what's herpes. on that grave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, go check out Joe Meek, a very interesting character and a very influential man. Uh, people, this is episode, uh, what are we on here? Episode 768 here of Sick and Wrong. Uh, we have some news stories coming up next. We have some phone calls a little later. Uh, but first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hello, Sick and Wrong patrons. In case you haven't noticed, and judging by the numbers you haven't, Sick and Wrong has their very own Patreon page, where you can find outtakes, extra stories, extra phone calls, and a whole lot more. These guys are putting out at least another hour to a week of additional content. 
To put it in perspective, here are some things that are more expensive than a $5 a month membership on Patreon. A pack of smokes. A value meal at any drive-thru. One $6 whore. Three $2 whores. A $10 crack rock. A six-pack of beer. A beer at pretty much any club. One movie ticket. Two joints. And two gallons of petrol. Hell, when you break it up, it costs less than 17 cents a day. And that's cheaper than feeding a starving African child. So sign up and help these Jews continue to craft the fine podcast we all enjoy so much today. So first story we have here, um, we haven't done a story like this in a while. A uh, Mm. Sweden mother kept her son locked up for decades. What was that first word? A Sweden? A mother from Sweden, a Swedish mom. Oh, a I Swedish. Guess. It was yeah. like a Sweden mother, a Sweden mother. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the that's the headline here. A mother in Sweden. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. She's suspected of holding her son captive inside their apartment for decades. Uh, she was arrested uh, just this past Tuesday. Uh, the reports claiming that the man was found undernourished with infected sores all over his body and almost no teeth. But doesn't decade. doesn't Sweden have great health care? Yeah. So this guy will be all right. He's kept him locked up for decades. Yeah, but this is actually kind of common when you hear about, well, maybe not decades. It's just, it's, yeah, it's not common. But Fritzel, Fritzel kept his daughter locked up for a couple of decades. Yeah, but, yeah Fritzel was diddling them. Well, like, I don't think he was diddling his was... kids. No, yeah, this is like was... almost like a Munchausen syndrome thing. Yeah, whoa. That's what this is. This is a gnarly story already. Um, Stockholm police spokesman. Well, Anne Frank wasn't being, she was held there because the Nazis. She wasn't (laughs) held there by, captive by her own mother. Um, Mm -hmm. Stockholm police spokesman Ola Osterling said that the man had been locked up for a very long time in the apartment, uh, but she refused to comment that he had been held for 28 years, but that's what local reports have been saying. Whoa. Neighbors said they had not seen the son, who's now 41 years old, for years, if ever. So some of the neighbors, which I found really odd that you're in an apartment building, living next door to people, or next door to this couple, and you know there's like a family that lives there, and you hadn't seen the son for decades, but you know there is a son that lives there. Wouldn't you be curious? Yeah, or maybe she like explained it away and said, oh, he's gone to live, you know, he's gone to Gothenburg. He's living in Gothenburg now or something. She must have come up with a lie. Why don't She's got I, to her. Well, I think she was kind of reclusive. I don't think she really interacted much. Yeah. But this is, mm-hmm. so Tove Bowman here, a 24-year-old who lives next door, said she had only seen the mother. She said, I grew up here, so I've always known who she is and I recognized her. Yeah, she's a little strange. It's like, she's a, a little. little strange, but you know <laughs> yeah, what I yeah. bet you it was? I bet you it was like, she's like the local witch, you know? Yeah, like me. That's who I aspire to be. I wonder if the neighborhood's ki- if the neighborhood kids feel that way about you and your, your bunker. I hope they do. Like, do you ever, do I they, do they walk by your, uh, like, do you have your like windows blacked out? Like do your neighbors yeah. walk by and cause they, cause you're up all night, right? Don't you work swing shift? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. Yeah, I work, um, I'm, I'm like a vampire. I have a vampiric lifestyle. So I wonder if neighborhood kids think it's like, oh, there's that like, you know, weird old witch that lives up on the hill. 
I do think it's funny because sometimes on like, you know, the nights I'll be doing my recycling, I'll be outside in like my black leather jacket with like three in the morning <laughs> with like my flashlight putting out my like recycling. And I think bloody hell, what do the, what do the neighbors all think of me? Just scary as a neighbor. Black kids. leather creeping about, yeah, creeping about in my yard. <laughs> Are you friendly with your neighbors? Like, do you interact with them? Yeah. Um, I don't really have that many neighbors to be honest, but I do. I'm very friendly with um, several of them. Like, do they ever uh, feed your cat when you're on vacation? One of them would. I've never asked her to. But, like, uh, one of my other neighbors, he's very old. And before the COVID, I used to go over once a week and I would sit and have a whiskey with him. And we would just talk about... He's very into World War II and so are I. So we'd usually just talk about World War II for an hour and have a whiskey. Was he, like, in the military? He never was, no. But he's a war baby. So we just uh, talk about those times. <laughs> I was wondering if there's like an app pupil scenario going on here. Like you're bringing them Nazi Not, uniforms to, to reawaken it. Well, I imagine that's where it was going to go. But then the COVID uh, <laughs> kicked that in the ruined balls, all your plans. It? Yeah, you know, yeah, I don't really know. In my new apartment here in West Hollywood, I don't know any of my neighbors. I, they know when it interacts, never see anybody. I saw this one fat girl that lives down the down the hall because Caliban ran into her apartment. Um, yeah. But that's the only person I've ever seen this whole building. It's really strange. That's crazy. That is strange. But yeah, no, no one talks to each other. Yeah, everyone's on lockdown again. Well, yeah, it's a different scenario when you're in the north of England. Well, I also made a point when I first moved in here to say to, like, my neighbor i was like if i'm ever too here's my number i'm gonna give you my number if i'm ever too loud just text me and i'll just instantly turn the music off it's like no bother to me don't worry about it just don't and take she's a never once complained smack the wall yeah yeah just don't be like you know joe meek's landlady lady like i will just turn the music off out of respect for you and she's never she says she's never heard me but i think that's a lie because i will blast the sonic rendezvous band at 3 a.m and but she, she will hear that. I can kind of empathize here with this neighbor, Tove, you know, the 24-year-old yeah. who never, you know, never saw anything. I wouldn't even know. Like, if I don't interact with my neighbors, so if there was, like, a woman here that's kept her son for decades in the apartment, I probably would have no idea, nor would I care or interact with them or even want to know. I'd just probably, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I guess I'd find out just when police come here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I wouldn't even know. Um, I wouldn't even think to ask. So... Um, it was reported that the woman had taken her son out of school when he was 12 and she kept him locked inside the apartment since then. And if she's doing wow. a little homeschooling, do they do that? Is mm. that a popular thing in the UK homeschooling? It's not popular, but it happens, especially happens more now because of the fucking COVID. But yeah, it oh, everybody is. Yeah. Or are, are, yeah. are kids Have back you ever in school? Uh, yes. Kids are back in school over here. Okay. Here it's all homeschooled. Uh, no, I've never actually been to any of the Scandinavian countries. I have been to Stockholm twice, and I have had a very good time both times. I would love to go to, like, I would love to do all of them, but I really want to go to Finland. I've heard it's very expensive to to Norway this year. It is all relative. It's like some things are expensive, some things aren't. It's like the price of booze, but I like how they have special, it's kind of like America. They just have, like, liquor stores that are only open at certain times. And oh, that sucks. It's a bit different. It's that fun, sucks. you know. Shout out to all the the scandos who are listening. I definitely good, think good the, you guys. Uh, the women yeah. at the Stockholm nightclubs look a lot better than the women at the Cumbria nightclubs. I How imagine. would you know? 
I've, I've seen pictures you know? online. I've seen pictures online. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you have, yeah. I don't frequent the Cumbrian nightclubs, but I would frequent the clubs of Stockholm. Great DIY scene as well in uh, Stockholm. And uh, what was it? who's from uh, Sweden? Isn't Entomb from Sweden? There's a lot of good bands actually from that whole area. Oh, there's fucking a million yeah. amazing Helicopters, bands. Let's not get in, let's not get into that. Yeah, so, let's not even start. The woman's daughter, who's a sister of the man, um, she found him on Sunday because she had been told that the mother had been taken to the hospital. So the mother is in the hospital, and so. I don't know, emergency services contacted the daughter. So I don't quite, they don't really get into the relationship with the daughter and the mother, but it sounds like the daughter wasn't speaking to the mother because the mother is insane. Right. Uh, the, yeah. man, the man was found with sores on his legs. He could barely walk, had no teeth, which limited his ability to speak. Um, he's in the hospital now and his injuries are not life-threatening. The woman, his mother, is suspected of illegal deprivation of liberty and causing bodily harms, which she's, so she's denying got a us. Child, a daughter. So her daughter must not must have moved out and not known about this. Well, but if that's, you were that's her the daughter, interesting would you part. Not be like, where's my brother? That's the interesting part. So the daughter said she had contacted social services several times <gasps> over the past two decades. So. Nothing she had been doing. trying for like 20 years to get to free her her brother um but she mm -hmm. was but there she was told both times that uh no crime had been committed because the man wasn't physically locked up like the man could leave if he wanted to so it was investigated so he was just inside the flat but maybe it was a case of the witchy mum was saying that if you leave bad things are going to happen i think that's what it is i think it was like psychological manipulation yeah. see in my mind she was locking him up inside a room and she was like not letting him out of the room like that um french socialite you know which one i was talking about I was oh locked, yeah, locked, yeah yeah locked in her room for being a whore i imagine that this is what that mum did but no son, why do you think the so son was, was a whore at 12. <laughs> yeah don't you think all, <laughs> all 12 year old boys are whores? tempting the catholic <laughs> priests but so the yeah, mother an episode about being pedophilic yeah <laughs> The mother's the mother uh, was overly protective after losing. Well, this is what they think. The mother is yeah. overly protective after losing her firstborn son when he was only three years old, and he had mm -hmm. she had convinced the boy that everybody was out to get them, and that she was the only one who could actually protect them. So he, Stay I think, sad. in his mind, he was like twelve years old, was probably freaked out. Who knows what she's saying? You know, it's yeah. like. Evil Jews are roaming the streets with their claws and their horns. And if you come out there, they're going to attack you. I mean, who knows what she's saying? You know, she's, yeah, she's like, to convince him. Yeah, like, he, I mean, so this guy is just living in fear, you know, and, uh, and, and the daughter knows the mom's insane, but there's nothing she can do because technically the boy isn't being held against his will. Or is oh, he? This is... Yeah, or is he? This is great. Well, it obviously is if he's got no teeth and saws on his legs. So it sounds like the daughter hadn't been in contact with the mother in years because she said that when she went into the apartment, um, it looked like it hadn't been clean for you know years. She said there was urine, dirt, and dust. It smelled like rotting food. She had to like wade Gross. through piles of rubbish to get through the hallways. Oh, and that's where she found the boy. You know, he's not a boy. He's a forty-one-year-old man. He's a fucking man, yeah. So yeah. she found her brother. She said she's in shock, broken-hearted, 
but at the same time relieved she's been waiting for this day for 20 years. So why would she just not go in with the police and do like a welfare check? I guess, you know, I don't know. Like I was like after 20 years, would you have just given up? You tried twice. Like, would you give up or would you be like, no, this is fucked up. I'm not going to stop. Like, it sounds like she tried to go to social services a couple times. Yeah. Nothing happened. But then she just kind of was like, oh, you know, whatever. But if you uh, knew yeah. this was going on, would you, I, I guess my question is, how hard would you work to free your brother from your insane, overly protective mother? It depends, doesn't it? It's obviously... I think if you really, really, really loved your brother, you would not stop at nothing. But this is only preliminary. We don't know what else she's done. But I totally would have called the police and been like, I really need a welfare check on my brother, who is possibly was being held captive by my maddening mother. Yeah, possibly. I mean, she never did this. But so, okay, so now, you know, the brother's free. Mother's in the hospital, probably going to go to prison. She's been waiting this day 20 years. What happens now? Like, she basically inherited a, the rotundo. Yeah, he can't live a normal life, can he? He's had no social interactions with other humans for what twenty-eight years. And could you imagine, He's... like, being like, you know, this is your uncle? Like, she, I'm sure the sister probably has her own family. It's like, well, now mm -hmm. you know, fucking Uncle Hans over here, who's been imprisoned by his mom for the past thirty years. With no teeth, can barely speak, is now living in your, you know, he's got the top bunk in your room, Billy. Yeah, you'd kind of want him to go back, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, fuck. He probably smells bad. He's covering <laughs> sores. He looks like Gollum. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the flat, you know, well, oh, the flat. Um, she must have owned the flat, the mother. Otherwise, well, it would have been a landlord yeah, situation. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't, so... yeah, I don't know, you know, I would be, I and or could, could you imagine being like the husband of the daughter? Like you know, it's like, do we really have to take him in? And she's like, well, where else is he gonna go? It's like, great. And so now I mean, you gotta deal gonna with go that. Back. He's gonna go back to the. We're gonna go and clean that apartment that he lived in. He's gonna go back there. That's where he's gonna fucking go. He's not moving in here. He's not moving <laughs> but in here. He, he can't live house. on his own. Well, he's gonna have to learn quick. I wonder what they did for. <laughs> I mean, 28 years. Like, I wonder if she, like, if they just, like, hung out in the garbage. Like, did they... He must have wanted to go out, yeah, hung out in the... Like, raccoons. Like, yeah, trash I don't even know. Um, so police are due to question the man and his mother in the coming days to find out what actually happened. And they're kind of puzzled that no one noticed. And neighbors that have been uh, contacted said, you know... They had no idea. They were as shocked as everyone else that this man had been hidden for so long. I like this guy, Kent Svedberg, said he noticed a very unpleasant odor that emanated from the apartment. But it was, quote, yeah. nothing I thought very much about. Like, okay, now that is okay. I probably wouldn't care about the affairs of my neighbors. But if I was walking out and it smelled like fucking shit, I'm going to probably, care. I'm going to call my landlord and be like, hey, it smells like a fucking turd right next to my like right across the hall from me can you go deal with this well that was like on the overkill the carl denke overkill where it's like all the neighbors had, all his like neighbors in the house had complained about how it smelled like rotting meat but they were like oh yeah but he's a butcher so you know it's but gonna I mean, smell like rotting meat in here yeah but it's carl like, no, denke was when what year was that the 40s no, way before that. It was turn okay. of the century. Turn of the century. Yeah. Oh, there are a lot of bad smells at that point. But this is like now in mm. Sweden. You know, if yeah. I would, 
it's clean Sweden as well. It's unacceptable for your fucking neighbor to smell like shit. Like to have an unpleasant odor in the hallway coming out of your neighbor's apartment. I would call my landlord and be like, you got to do something about this. I would yeah, not tolerate I would also, it. That would be the telltale sign. And plus when she would have been scuttling in and out for her trips to go and buy probably the weirdest, like the lutefish. lutefish. Yeah, the weird Swedish food. Yeah, <laughs> I, wonder, weird Swedish food. I wonder if she like, yeah, it sounds like she didn't really speak to any of the neighbors. They said, um, you know, one of the... Uh, you know, one of the neighbors here is like, it's scary that's gone on for so many years. And I'm surprised that, you know, the school, social services, just no one ever checked on the boy yeah. over the years. That's kind of odd. Like she took the kid out of the school and just, yeah, that's fine. No one ever that followed up on it. It's, it's, it's really weird. Um, one woman said it, they also found it odd that their windows were never open. You know, yeah, there were always curtains and the same candlestick had been in the windowsill for over 30 years. But what can you do? How do you know what's going on behind closed doors? It's all so awful, you can't believe it's true. I agree with this lady. What can you do? Mind your own fucking business. You do mind your own business. It's like that murder of that woman in New York, isn't it? Uh, where you know she got killed and everyone was like, "Yeah, I heard it, but I'm not doing shit about it." Well, that's that's the New Yorker attitude. I think here, people probably just never even thought about it, but. Well, politeness as well. It's out of politeness, isn't it? It's like, it's not my job to judge that yeah, they maybe. don't. Well, I don't open my curtains or very rarely open my windows. I wonder what my neighbors think. I think they think you're a witch. I hope they do. What do you have here for the second story? Okay. An Australian mom allegedly stabbed a hundred times and beheaded by her demon daughter. Isn't that oh. a great headline already? I, I, like the, I like the familial relationships. It's like a theme, the family theme of oh, this yeah, family-friendly doing... show. Yes, this is this is all about mothers, this show. Yeah. So an, an Australian mother was decapitated by her own daughter in the summer of 2019 after she spent thousands on an exorcism for the troubled young woman. Wow, they charge Bruce for and... the exorcisms? You'll see. Gruesome new details of the Australian mother's death have emerged in court this week. Weeks before the killing, Rita Kalamaliri was allegedly convinced her daughter was possessed by supernatural force. The desperate mother spent two and a half grand on a she-wolf medium to get the demon out of her daughter, officials have said. (laughs) Wait, a she-wolf medium? A she-wolf medium to get get the demon. I don't know, but wouldn't you like to meet a she-wolf medium? Yeah, I kind of, I think yeah. that'd be interesting. Um, You've probably dated a few she-wolf mediums in your time, I would bet. Probably at least once or, once or twice. Yeah, some spooky bitches. <laughs> so, Rita Calamiri, 57, had hired a spirit communicator to banish a demonic presence from her daughter two weeks before she was dismembered by her daughter, Jessica, in her own kitchen. Oh, so maybe she was Look, right. Maybe her daughter was yeah, actually possessed. She got a demon inside. Oh, yeah, this is all about two stories about possession as well in different ways. So the bloodbath happened late at night on July the 20th, 2019, at Jessica and Rita's home in St. Clair, a suburb of Sydney. Jessica used multiple knives to butcher her mother, with some even breaking off before decapitating her and running outside of her head, which was then found in front of a neighbor's home on a walking path. 
Fucking brutal, mate. You, you can cut off your mom's head. Fucking brutal. Rita's head was discovered on the walking path, and inside her residence, the woman's mutilated body, including severed body parts and the tip of her nose, were found in the kitchen. She had been stabbed more than a hundred times, and her daughter, covered in blood, was found at the scene, clutching a water, bo- a water bottle. Where are the other family members? There's just them. Oh, it's just the mother and daughter live together. Yeah. How, how old is the daughter? Um, did I not just say how old she was? Oh, 25. No, I, I think you mentioned she was 25. 25, yeah. She and immediately told him that she'd killed her mother, and she pointed out the hit that was on the footpath, Crown Prosecutor Tony McCarthy said. Jessica, then 25, admitted to carrying out the murder of her mother, but insisted that the brutal killing was in self-defense. I just kept fucking stabbing and stabbing and fucking stabbing her, mate, so I took off her fucking head, she might have said. It's a pretty good Australian accent you got going on there. This is actually, I'm doing an authentic Perth accent. I am aware that this, uh, I can't do a posh Sydney accent, mate. You know, you got to, Sydney is a bit like posher. This is Perth, this is out in the fucking sticks. So what, what do, uh, what is the sentiment in the UK on the Aussies? Like, do you guys prefer the Irish or the, or the Scottish or the Aussies? Like, who do you prefer out of those three? Uh, oh, right. Um, I think the better question would be to ask who is tighter. What do you mean tighter? Who spends, who spends less money? The Scots, the English, or the Aussies? Who, who is like, yeah, who's fucking tighter? Because that's like, that's the bigger question. Because well, the Scots also, are well known for being fiscal. But I mean, do, you, do our English people more biased towards Australians, Irish, or Scottish people? Fucking look. Right, so there is a rivalry between the English and the Scots. A lot of that's that exists. That's there. It's mainly because there's of the a Scots, history. My ad. <laughs> yeah, there's a history. Um, everyone loves the Irish. Who doesn't love the Irish? We all love the Irish. The Irish might not like us, but we like them. What do they think uh, of the Aussies? Fucking love the Aussies, mate. They're fucking good. The good fucking banter. Fucking love them all. Loved every Australian I've ever met. If Maybe I was if, if I was English, I would are you get because isn't Australia part of the Commonwealth? Yeah. So can you just move still, there? You know. Uh you still need visas. My younger brother lived out there for like seven years. Oh, you still have to get Loved a visa it. in order to move there. Still have to get a thing, but you gotta have a certain amount of money in your bank as well. They want your fucking money. But yeah, I love love Australia. I'd love to go one day. Great music scene, everything. Under police questioning, she allegedly told authorities that her and her mother had been arguing shortly before the attack. The accused has said that she wanted to give the deceased a taste of her own fucking medicine. <laughs> Apparently so. Do they say fucking like every other word? Is well, obviously thing? it's been cleaned up, but yeah, we know that the Aussies are famous for fucking swearing and a bit of casual racism, <laughs> just like the English. <laughs> so why we're mates, right? We also all love pies. Like, get into the pies. Australians are big on that. The first beer I ever got drunk on was Castlemaine Forex. No, Castlemaine Forex, which is a real genuine um, Australian beer. beer. Hmm. Yeah, and I miss it. You can't get it in this country anymore, but it was the first beer I ever got drunk on. I used to love it. What's it called? I miss it. Castlemaine Forex. You should look up um, like the adverts. Castle like main forex. Adverts. All right, I have to look for that. Forex, can't afford. No one gives a fucking forex, mate. <laughs> it's like the slogan. 
So she's now 27 and she's been described as having numerous psychological illnesses. She also apparently has autism and a mild mental disability. So she's pled not guilty because, you know, of all these things. I kind of agree. I'm taking her mom's side on this. She's got she a mental daughter. She paid two and a half grand, but she yeah. never got any fucking service. I believe she was desperate for anything to help. A family friend has told the court this week. The same friend, she's also testified about Jessica's battles with dyslexia, attention deficit disorder. Apparently Jessica got bullied at school and the breakup of Rita and Jessica's father has also taken a toll on Jessica. So the father is out there somewhere being I'm, like, yeah, she fucking deserved it, mate. Fucking, I'm glad you cut her fucking head off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wonder if the father's like, well, I guess there's no custody battle anymore. Yeah, he's like, I can get in rock, bitch. Although if I was oh, a father, yeah. I'd probably get as far away as possible. I'd be moving from Sydney to Perth, so I wouldn't have to deal with these two insane women. Yeah. The same family friend is quoted as saying that Dad had control over her, and he had fucking discipline. And Jessica's behavior only grew worse when he was no longer there to fucking rule the house. Acquaintances <laughs> <laughs> of the family have previously warned the mother that her daughter may hurt someone if she didn't intervene. But Rita, she refused to give up on her daughter. Not my Jessica, she told the neighbor who testified in court. Two weeks later, guess what? She was fucking oh, headless. Decapitated. You're fucking decapitated. Friends of Jessica said that she was extremely demanding and she was sometimes verbally abusive towards her mother. But Rita would still defend her daughter. She was still, still her best buddy. It gets a so bit it's, more it's, it's now. weird though. They seem to have like a, a pretty close relationship, but yet the daughter's mental. Yeah, and it sounds like the daughter does not like the mother either. But her mom's like, no. It's a very one-sided. Yeah. Jessica, she was also a horror film fanatic, and two of her favorite movies were The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Jeepers Creepers. Now, I, I agree with Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Jeepers Creepers is all right, but once you've seen it, you've kind of seen mm. it. Yeah, the rewatchability like, of Texas Chainsaw, very high. It's very high. There are so many nipples in that film. It's all it's all I could look at the last time I saw it. Everyone, <laughs> all the girls have hard nipples. Did you ever see the second one with uh, Dennis Hopper? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I love the movie. second one. Oh, that scene with the granddad when he's like trying oh, to bash the girls. Oh, that's gnarly. I love it. Here we go, mate. But a feature of these fucking movies is that killing people violently... You know, you're killing them fucking violently. You're dismembering their bodies, uh, McCarthy has said. Jessica is also alleged to have been particularly fascinated by the dismemberment scenes, and she would rewind them and watch them on repeat. She sounds I'm... like a jolly person. <laughs> That's concerning. She? Could you imagine being the mom being like, do we have to watch the dismemberment scene again? Yes, mother. She's probably wanking <laughs> she also, to it. She also had a history of threatening to behead other family members and just like random people. No wonder the she, dad you know. fucked off. If I was a yeah, dad, I would like, not want to be, I'd be like, you know what? She's not my daughter. I'm done. It's going to be fucking me next. I love this guy's name. It's a great, a great um, Australian name. Nathan Steele, Jessica's defense attorney, stated she was she was going obviously through a mental episode at the time of her mother's oh, really? death. No, no fucking shit, mate. Uh, due to the effects of her mental conditions, she had an impaired capacity at the time of the events. Steele has, Steele has also asked the jury to keep an open fucking mind, you cunts. 
Through the very early stages of this trial, he said. As hard as it may be, you put your emotions, your prejudice, your prejudice, fuck, and your fucking sympathy to one fucking side just for five minutes. Castlemaine Forex. There we go. <laughs> I just like the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the rude um, Australian barristers. Yeah, you fucking, fucking cunts. Pound of fosters and go argue your, uh, your defense here. Um, I wonder if, like, when they're choosing jurors, if they're just like, so have you seen Texas Chainsaw? All right, you can say. Yeah, you know? or if they were, like, as part of the jury's evidence today, we're all going to settle in and we're going to watch the first Texas Chainsaw. I, I would be stoked if I was on that jury. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, right. That's like my picture. one of my top five yeah. movies. Such a good movie. Yeah, it's great. You yeah. know, the house is still there. The uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. It's a, a fucking restaurant. You can go and have dinner in it. What? In Texas? Yeah. You can I had go no and, idea. Like, you can go and have yourself a nice little dinner. You is can it, wonder what the fuck the meat is. Is it all leather face why I'm still Australian? <laughs> no, it's posh. It's like a nice little like family house looking thing. It's lovely. Oh, that's amazing. I wonder if they kept the same screen door on it. I don't know. Don't think they have. I'm gonna save up my money. And I'm gonna go for it. Probably a disappointing dinner there. That'd I'm be worth. That'd be worth a road trip. It'd be worth a road it trip. It would be worth the road trip. Definitely. I'd have to check that out. Well, yeah, demon woman here. I want to find a little bit more. I wish they had a little more detail on the she wolf medium. Like, what does that even well, I mean? Think I think as the trial is still ongoing, that there'll be more stuff coming out on the night in the next couple of fucking weeks. We'll find out what a fucking she demon wolf is. It's probably one of your ex-girlfriends on the stand. You you know, I think you'd have an easy time assimilating into the Australian uh, scene. Would I blend in? I think you'd blend in like harmoniously because you can already speak yeah. just like them. Just grab a fossil, yeah. mate. Yeah, I can speak like a bogan and I fucking look like one too. <laughs> <laughs> People send your story, cigarettepodcastgmail.com. We have some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a promo from Adam and Eve. Ah, the holidays. It's snowing outside, the fire is crackling, and there's a big jar of unused lube on your nightstand. And that can only mean one thing. It's December. Yes, that time of year that we celebrate Christ's alleged birth with the purchase of a shiny brand new dildo at AdamEve.com. And if you use coupon code DIDDLE on your order, you'll get 50% off your first purchase, three free adult DVDs, and a free gift. Show your loved ones you still care and cram a brand new dildo down their holiday road. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, and making a purchase using coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E, like priests do to altar boys. Hallelujah. So we got a few phone calls to get to. Uh, 323-522-4032. People, call in with your holiday phone calls. You know, we got the holiday special coming up soon. I'm hoping to get steel, maybe Wackerly. I don't know if Wackerly will yes. do it. Maybe. Yes. Um, but yes. call in. We want to we get your calls here. Create a backlog of holiday calls. 323-522-4032. Call in and let us know about your COVID. How has COVID affected your holidays? Are you dreading it? Are you looking forward to it? Come on, just uh, give us a call. 323-522-4032. three minutes. Sorry, I want to hear worst, the worst Christmases that people have ever had. We, I'll you know, tell we've my asked worst for that Christmas. before. Yeah, but maybe during the holiday special, I'll tell everyone about my worst Christmas. My did worst Christmas might dad? make some people did involve drunk dad. <laughs> and the last Christmas we ever had together. So it might make some people cry. I wonder, like, 
we we need some listeners to call in and impersonate drunk dad. <laughs> I'm sure uh, like drunk dad calling my... from beyond the grave. That's what I want to hear. Grave. Oh yeah, I want to hear people pretending to be drunk dad. A lot of uh, my ex-boyfriends feared him and said he was like Ray Winston. So Oh, he sounded like Ray Winston. Well, he wasn't London, he was Northern, but he he had that fear. He had that fear about him, that dominance. Hello, Kate. Why are you besmirching <laughs> my good name on your fucking podcast? <laughs> podcast. Yeah. You sound like that. Very... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much a good impression of him. Well done. <laughs> I, I do think it's funny when people call in and they're like the rabbi calling from beyond the grave. Um, yeah, so I we'll like see if too. we get uh we'll see if we get drunk dad calling from beyond the grave. Anyway, call the Sigar hotline 323-522-4032 or you can email us sigarpodcast@gmail.com. A lot of people send in MP3s. Uh, here's a guy from Houston named Jack that's calling in. Hey, this is Jack from Houston and I've been listening for about a year, so uh I got to listen to Harrison a lot for a while um and I am sad that he is gone, but Kate is doing an excellent job. I'm like 90% the way through uh, her first episode and really enjoyed it. She is close to as twisted as Harrison, and that's a great thing. Oh, you haven't even heard how twisted Kate is yet. (laughs) I wonder if Jack's on the Patreon. That's where all the (laughs) twisted stuff is. You do talk about a lot of twisted stuff on on the Patreon. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, we have a, well, Kate's only, you know, you've only been on for a month, so we don't even know about your twisted background. Not yet. I don't think you have a predilection for feathers, but I don't really know yet. We haven't, we haven't found <laughs> that out. I actually do. I actually oh, do, do like have feathers. a feathers collection. I have a feather collection. You have an actual I'm collection proud. of feathers. I am actually proud of my feather collection. A lot of it is I've got a few exotic birds, but it's mainly like if I'm walking around and I see a nice feather, I pick it up and I, I bring it home and I've got a jar. And it's on display. But are your feathers? I have a lot of weird esoteric things in my house. But are your feathers covered in cum, like uh, Harrison's feather collection? No, not like Harrison's, because I like to take care of my things. (laughs) I don't come on them, apart from my eldest. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe that's what makes them special, because like your favorite moments, it's like you, you know, cherish the memories. I have. You know, I've gotten drunk and been on eBay and I'm like, fuck it. I, re-, you know, one of my dreams is to have a really big, like massive ornate vase and to have loads of ostrich feathers coming out of it. And there's been a few times that I've been on eBay and I'm like looking at ostrich feathers. I wonder if maybe Harrison is selling his feathers on Are you going to, wait, would you buy one of Harrison's used feathers? I would not. One of his cum feathers. I don't want a cum feather. Do you want a cum feather? I want a clean feather. Probably, actually, I'm sure there's a lot of sick and wrong audience members who probably would buy one of Harrison's cum feathers. Cum feather. I think there are. <laughs> Schlitzy. Also has a very sexy accent. Uh, I say that in the least demeaning and uh, sexist way possible, but, you know, it's nice. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for the show. Uh, I'll probably become a premium member again pretty soon. Uh, and uh, yeah, just just really enjoy it. You make quarantine a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. All right, take it easy. Well, that's what we try to do uh, here. Try to make your quarantine more comfortable. Can we call him Sheriff Jack Houston? He's like Liz. He doesn't sound very Texan. Yeah, listen, Liz doesn't sound very Texan either. Liz is a frequent Houston caller. probably does not sound as Texan in my mind, but I want to call him Sheriff Jack Houston. Jack like Houston. Him. 
Jack Houston. <laughs> it's a cool. It's like a PI name, isn't it? My name's Jack Houston. Jack Houston. Um, yeah, mm. sign up for Patreon there, Jack. You get access to a lot more content. We've been to a lot more this week. Actually, your uh, Overkill show is about um, who's it about? Vince Taylor. Vince Taylor, who is kind of well, he's a massive part of the British rock and roll scene. And yeah, he has affiliations to Joe Meeks, but if a you bit Joe Meek, if you of don't a messianic know story, complex with that guy, <laughs> if you don't know the story of Vince Taylor, then you're going to be surprised to what happened to him. He's um, yeah, he's off his rocker as well, in a very so, big way. Yeah, check out uh, Sick and Wrong Overkill on Patreon. It's like the the mini sode that we release every week. Um, all right, thank you, Jack. Next call here, um, Gino. Gino calls oh, in with Gino. a story. Yeah. Hiya, D and Kate. It's uh, Gino just ringing up. I just thought I'd tell you the time that I went to Blackpool, which uh, is a seedy town at best. Blackpool. Vegas is that where like pirates are from? It's a shithole. It is the. It's called the Vegas of the North. At the turn of the century, the Victorians like loved Blackpool. They went there. So there's a lot of like Victorian buildings, like the Winter Gardens. Well, actually, right before before the fucking COVID, there's two great festivals that the Winter Garden has every year. They have a, a punk festival, which is where you're going to see like Mohawk Sex Pistols punkers. Do you know the type I mean? Oh, it's kind of Just like exploited fans. Yeah, just like generic, like, you know, type of punk. But I've like the Warp see, Tour. Uh, different. They're different than the Warp Tour. British More punks. of a British Warp Tour. All right, British punk. Yeah. Generic British punks go there and they spend absolute fortune. But I've there, I've been to that a few times, the Punk Festival of Rebellion. Have you played it? And then, no, but that would have been on the cards. Oh. It was on the cards. <laughs> but COVID. the thing I really want to go to, and I've never been to it because nobody will go with me is they do a free day weekend at Elvis special. So all the Elvis impersonators from around the world come and they have like, you know, there's obviously like competitions and there's people all dressed in their sixties gear. They do like Priscilla Presley competitions Whoa. and it's just an Elvis weekend. It's nonstop. This Elvis, sounds Elvis, amazing. Elvis. When is it? I've always wanted to go to it. It's usually in August, but nobody will ever go with me. Ever. You, know, you know what I so, want to do? If we hit our Patreon goal, I think we should do that every year. Go out to the UK and do like a big fan thing where we all go to the Elvis Fest. <gasps> that would be in so Blackpool. Cool. Yeah, like meet up and we all just go to the Elvis Fest and get fucking really I drunk. I think you should have hopped up Blackpool. on drugs. Yeah, I want to check this There's, out. It's a shithole. <laughs> Why do they call it the Vegas of the North? Are there casinos there? You can do, like, there's lots of, like, penny arcades. It's like a, a seaside resort town. Uh, you have to experience Blackpool. There's, like, a there's a theme park there with, like, roller coasters. And a lot of like northern that. slags. Fucking tons of northern slags. Actually, one of my favorite Blackpool stories is, this is probably going on 10 years ago now, but um, there, was a, there was a murder. There's been a murder in Blackpool, and it was this 16-year-old girl. And they they dragged her into a back alley and they just set her on fire. Jesus, really? That was it. That's how they fucking murdered her. What did she do? Why did they murder her in such a gruesome fashion? Who fucking knows? I will say, though, that the charity shops in Blackpool are beyond compare. They're fucking great. I've been down there and I've bought some good stuff in Blackpool. Hey, you sold me on the Elvis Festival. I'm going to check it out. I sold you. Yeah, let's go. Um, Yeah, I went there with my mum and... uh... 
as uh, Kate might know, there's uh, a lot of novelty shops, as they call them, on the front, mm-hmm. which uh, seem to sell rock and vibrators for some reason. <laughs> anyway, my mum was complaining that she'd broke a vibrator recently, uh, worn it out, apparently. It's a little too much information there from the mum. Do you know what Gino's mum? It happens. Happens from time to time. It's always devastating when your favourite vibrator dies. I wonder if Joe Meek and his mom talked about vibrators. I wonder if he made special vibrators for his mom because he could, you know, he dabbled with electronics. Ooh, yeah, yeah, he knows all about vibrato. He probably yeah. did. And um, she asked me to go in a shop and get her another one. <laughs> So, uh, I wandered into the... That, that's also kind of weird. He's a good son. No, he's a it, very weird, good but son. but he's a good son. They have I, a good relationship. That never happened with my mom. She never asked me to go buy her a vibrator. But they, it's... You know, I'm envious that you have that open of a relationship with your mom. You've got to say it in Northern. You've got to be your mom. Your, your mom. mom. Your mom. Your mom. Yeah. Um, there was vibrators on sale as well as Blackpool Rock, um, which is a candy type of thing Blackpool and, um, yeah you never had it what's that I don't know how I would describe it's usually in like a stick form uh, like a round tube and it's just rock hard that's why they call it rock candy but it's like once you start chewing on it it kind of goes soft but then you can it do like it in taffy? all sorts of different flavors it's like flavors. you chew it no no it's not soft like taffy it's like it's rock so it's kind of like imagine a, an a gobstopper that's actually edible. Hmm. Makes sense. And it's, it's like kind of like a candy form. cane. Yeah, it's kind of like a candy cane, but it's all in a stick form and it's thick. And it's usually like you can get hundreds of different flavors. And it's usually, it usually says something on the inside in sugar. No wonder you guys have British smiles. <laughs> they had various sizes. So I walked in and um, I said, Can I have a vibrator? And they're like, Which size do you want? So I was like, shit. Me mum's a whore, get the biggest what size one. Vibrate me mum wants. So I wandered outside and I shouted at the top of my voice, what size do you want, mum? <laughs> she said, as big as you can get. So I went back I told you, and... I told you. So Wow. I love Gino's mom. Fucking yeah, your mom's amazing. What a good legend. Yeah, what what a legend Gino's mom is. Legend, I want to hear more a tales. Fucking legend. A fucking legend. I want to hear more tales about Gino's. Do you buy her a vibrator for like Christmas? A fucking riot. Yeah, it's a it's amazing you're like she's sending her son to go buy her a vibrator. The biggest a fucking one legend. <laughs> right. Do you know what I want to happen, D? I want Gino's mom and the Ward's mom to like form a girl group. Like a singing duo, like salt and pepper. Yeah. <laughs> you see where I'm going this. We can both be the managers of this. What oh, so good. I love it. <laughs> Just the um, said item for a very reasonable price and uh, the transaction was completed. Anyway, that's the sort of thing we get to up to in the north, really, especially in Blackpool. C D town. Mm-hmm. All right. Take it easy. Is that commonplace in the north of England to buy your mom, like, sex toys? No. I, I doubt my mom has <laughs> even ever been near a vibrator. But Gino's mom sounds cool. Although the last time I was in Blackpool, a few years ago, um, 
me and my boyfriend at the time, we were obsessed. We really wanted, you know, the stripper pens where you turn them upside down and all the clothes yeah, and fall the, off. And they get naked. Yeah, we were going to buy a ton of them. We were going to brand them and give them out as like Asian babes goodies. But we couldn't, like, there was none. And both of us were like, when we were 15, Glasgow, Glasgow, Blackpool was super sleazy. And it's kind of cleaned up its act a bit. Do they have prostitutes there? Oh, of course. Really good chip shops, though. Oh, I think I'm... Because it's on the seaside. Yeah. So are these these tourist stores or these actual sex shops? No, the tourist stores are like tourist traps. You'll go in and you'll see like, you know, they've got really shitty like Freddie Mercury, like light Zippo lighters and they've got Elvis goods. And then they will have like fluffy handcuffs and like dildos. So they'll have like one section with like little sex items and things like that. Yeah, yeah, they do. And then they've also got like another section with like bongs. (laughs) (laughs) A wild. When we reach our like uh, our patron goal, goal, we're going to totally go to that weekend. We'll do an Elvis night. Elvis weekend. I'm going to do it every year. I know, like, yeah, we'll uh, we did people. Edinburgh Fringe. We'll do both. We'll do Edinburgh Fringe and then Blackpool Elvis weekend. I think, oh, God, they might be at different times. Do they times, coincide? Let me look into that. Um, oh, imagine having to choose, well, if you had to choose between the fucking Fringe. I would do Elvis, Elvis Festival. Fuck the Fringe. Yeah, fuck the Fringe. <laughs> fuck the Fringe. No, the Elvis Festival in Blackpool sounds like a blast. I would do that for sure. Um, you know, Gino, yeah. if you go to adamandeve.com, type in diddle, you can get your mom a vibrator and a butt plug, 50% off. For Christmas. Yeah. I would say, Gino, though, that if you're going to buy your mom a butt plug, don't get at the largest one. Start her yeah. out small. <laughs> Maybe start out small. <laughs> baby sex. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, what are you getting your mom for Christmas, Gino? If you're getting her a vibrator just when you go to Blackpool, I want to know what you're getting her for Christmas. I love these guys' relationships. All right, moving <laughs> on. Great. I know it's this this show has been all about like family relationships, you know, mm-hmm. mother yeah, and child. Yeah, mothers and their child, yeah. All right, here's uh, Ted from New York with a question. Hey, D, Rambo, Ted from New York. Here. Rambo. I got a question I like for it. you. Um, I think it could be a is that gay question. I'm not sure. So <laughs> seven years ago, more thereabouts. Ellen, who was Juno, comes out as a lesbian. Fair enough. Oh, Ellen Page. She was in the news, actually, uh, this week. Yeah, to begin with, I was like, Ellen is a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen lesbian. Yeah, no, I was, and I was thinking, like, as soon as he said Juno, it was okay. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. I'm like, oh, that's fairly obvious. But uh, no, he, <laughs> he's referring to Ellen Page, who was in the movie Page. Juno. He was also and fairly obviously. Now, fast forward, and Ellen is now a bloke who is a he-they. A bloke? Called Elliot. Fucking great. Happy with that. No worries. So she came out as transgender this past week, and now she's Elliot Page. And also does not she... a shock, yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised there. Yeah. Uh, but is she, is she a he-they? Is that the pronoun now? Is she getting the surgery? he Whatever. I don't know. This might be Ted's question. I'm not sure. Okay. But my question is, is he still a lesbian? Or is he now straight? Does that then make his wife, I'm not sure if they're married or not, but anyway, his wife, is she now a lesbian, still a lesbian, or is she straight? I don't fucking know. 
<laughs> I like how Ted. These are Dang. questions that Ted. That this keeps Ted up at night. He's like pondering mm-hmm. the answers to these questions. So he wants to I know like because Ellen DeGener or Ellen Ellen Page <laughs> Ellen is now yeah. Elliot Page. Is because she's Elliot Page. Okay. Is she still a lesbian? Because she was a lesbian before, but now is she a, since she identifies as a dude, is she in a heterosexual relationship or a homosexual relationship? So let's Firstly, see. I would like to say that being Ellen or Elliot, she's fucking awful. Either way. Either way, she's yeah, it doesn't really person. matter if she's awful a man or a woman. Yeah. Um, she's still fucking just awful. awful. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm a woman, lesbian, great. Now I'm a bloke. Am I straight? Because I still like the women. Fuck that. Anyway. I'm so, waiting for him to get to the uh, question like, are they still scissor kicking? Like, what do they do? <laughs> I'm waiting for this. <laughs> Looking at Twitter after it all came out, and I'm like, I didn't really fucking care about it. But then I was looking on Twitter, and it says all the lesbians are pissed off because, like, oh, we lost a lesbian, possibly two. We've lost a lesbian. <laughs> Wait, are the lesbians that upset that Ellen Ellen Page has announced that she's transgender? Like, are they just like, we just lost like one of our, you know, most famous lesbians? Yeah, I thought. I thought they were all a team, all of them, lesbian, gay. Yeah, I thought it was like the That's whole LGBTQ. You know, yeah. They're all B- in together. BTK. Yeah, BTK. Are yeah. straight now. But then I was looking on the internet, on the other internet, like not the non-Twitter internet. And the gay internet. Going on about, oh, we lost a lesbian, so they're really upset. But there's tons of lesbians on the internet. I found one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lesbians do like to use the internet. I've, yeah, I've noticed yeah, that about Pornhub lesbians. Yeah. yeah, I'm Pornhub. <laughs> these lesbians in like white panties having a pillow fight. They looked really happy. Um, then there was. Other- I've seen so, that video as well. So I love how like uh, yeah. Ted over here is just like pondering the questions about. Ellen Page's gender identity and then he's like you know what I'm going to have to research <laughs> lesbians so he goes on the internet and it's like what are lesbians are they happy about you know did we lose a lesbian and it's like all of a sudden now he's watching lesbians in panties pillow fighting on the internet it's all part of the research I wonder what New York he's from I do like his accent I wonder if he's from up and north of New York uh, I don't know upstate yeah upstate so, sounds like, like older lesbians with giant tits teaching younger lesbians how to lick hot pussy how like a short yeah how to, how to be a lesbian because <laughs> you need someone research. to show you yeah ted's research corner because you do need like you know when you're first starting out as a lesbian what you need is you need an older lesbian to just show you the ropes and like i've also seen that on Pornhub. well what i've learned researching the internet is that what typically happens? It's like you're a young girl, you're curious about these things, and you have this really attractive stepmom with massive breasts. Yes. And she's, yeah. you know, wearing, a, you know, like short shorts or negligee or something. And she like bends over and you see her ass. And the next thing you know, she notices you. you're looking at her ass. And then you're giving her Then she pulls out her this massive dildo that she bought in Blackpool. And you're fucking <laughs> That's, and that's how that's you how that's how you enter into uh you know lesbianism lesbianism mm-hmm. it was quite good but all the lesbians on twitter are angry and then all the documentaries you watch on the internet all the lesbians are happy so documentaries good crap my original question is 
straight now, or is he still a lesbian? Could he be a lesbian until he gets the dick? And then the wife, what's she? I don't know. Anyway, good uh, good work on the new format, and um, yeah, take care. Bye for now. So uh, there's some important questions here that need to be answered. Um, is Ellen Page a straight man now? Because she's a man. Mm-hmm. Is she still a lesbian? Is she still having lesbian sex? Does she get the surgery? Do you have to wait to be straight till she gets the surgery? And is her wife a lesbian? Or I wonder if she's going to get woman? the surgery. Because in my mind, chopping off a dick and creating a, a pussy is really easy. It feels like something that I could do. Like I could just go into like I could go into surgery and create that. You're saying right? wait, but you, to the, oh yeah, because you chop it off and you just got a hole in there. Yeah, yeah, and then you you know you're just gonna make it because like the hole a Swiss is actually Army already knife there. And just carve you know it where out, your like a yeah, you know where your gooch is. There's already the hole there, so all they kind of do is open that up, and then they keep the every man is wincing now, so they chop your balls off, and then they keep your uh, um, the tip of your cock, and that's what they make the clit out of. Oh, it's from the content. Have you watched this in the documentary? Maybe I know from personal experience. (laughs) On Pornhub? Yeah, I'm going to have to go to my safe space after this uh, conversation. But to make a penis is like a much more, like you have to grow something, don't you? It's way more complicated, isn't it? You're going to be on steroids, whatever. And I'm sure just like her face and her personality and her acting skills, it would be an awful penis. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's the one thing i've never liked ellen page even when she was a woman i'm not gonna page. like elliot page. i don't know I, I don't even like looking at her and then the whole I thing don't. with juno like i remember that Ugh. movie hard candy came out which was like Ugh, she awesome. ended up like f- beating up some guy with i don't, I don't remember mm-hmm. even the whole premise of it but i just remember thinking that whole movie just was incredulous like it, it made no sense to me Never liked it. And then Juno comes out and Juno actually like made me viscerally upset. The fact that like Michael Sarah would end up having sex with Ellen Page was completely improbable. I don't think that would ever happen. He's also awful. Well, imagine what their creation would look like. Disgusting. Just a monstrosity. It's probably going to look like how her penis will look like if she gets the surgery. But is it gay? (laughs) I think if she is now wanting her pronouns to be male, then yeah, she's straight now. But she still has. You remember Book Angel, the porn star Book Angel? Oh yeah, yeah. Book Angel identifies as man. Yeah, but you know, has has a pussy. Loves having a pussy. Is proud of his. Pussy. But he's got a goatee. So, wait, do you think? Were you saying Ellen Page or Elliot Page is going to get facial hair? Yeah, she will do. I hope she gets a Hitler mustache. Do you know what? She actually would probably sue to Hitler mustache. She has that kind of comedic range for playing Hitler. She's fucking awful. I really don't, I don't care. Why this do you hate her? News. I just hate her because I think she's shite. She's tripe. The only thing she's like famous for is probably that she came out as a lesbian. Juno, one of the worst films ever made. And then Hard it. Candy, one of the worst films ever made. She's never been in anything good. Well, she's in she's the like, Umbrella Academy now that people seem to love that show. Yeah, it's also 
something that I would probably watch for 10 minutes and then be like, you know, I didn't mind that show. It's just, I don't like Ellen Page. So when, Mm -hmm. and I don't care that she's Ellen Page, Elliot Page, whatever page, it doesn't bother me. I just don't think she's a good actor. He's a good actor. And I'd rather just not see his films. There's certain people like that. I just rather not see that. See their face. I've read interviews that she's a bit of a dick as well. But do you not like Buffalo 66? That is a good movie. Do you movie. like Brown Bunny? That, Brown no. Bunny's good as well. I would prefer never to have to watch Brown Bunny again. I don't like Vincent Gallo. I, I like think Brown that guy's Bunny. a cunt. Um, you just don't like him because of personal issues. Maybe. And maybe the same deal with <laughs> Elliot Page. It's like when I, was, when I was just like, although the idea of Elliot Page with a penis fucking Michael Sarah would be pretty funny. Like that That's would that would make. change the whole that would I think they should remake Juno with Elliot Page not raping but fucking Michael Sarah. What is Michael Sarah up to these days? I don't know. I remember when uh, I lived in Los Feliz or, or near Los Feliz over um, kind of in Hollywood. I almost got hit by him on his bike. He was riding a bike and almost nailed me. Did he say sorry? Yeah, he was like he almost hit me. I was walking across the street. He like almost nailed me, and then uh, he was like, "Sorry," and like waved. Well, that's quite nice because he could have just carried on riding. Like a I, I heard he's a nice guy. It's just improbable to is, me that he like and him. Elliot Page mm-hmm. would be, uh, you know, hooking up. But I wouldn't mind seeing Juno too, where she's like a man with a Hitler mustache, you know, and she <laughs> ends up like full on, you know, sodomizing. Just- so Michael Sarah. I think it would be more. I would like to see her rape the mouth, not rape because it would be consensual, but it, you know, rape fantasy. I'd like to see her rape the mouth of Michael. Sarah. You know what? I wouldn't mind calling it Juno's revenge because she's so Juno's upset revenge. that she had to. They knocked her up. She had a kid, so uh-huh. now she like became a man and she takes revenge. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I could see that. So, in answer to Ted's question, is it gay? Oh, is it gay? I don't, I don't think it's. I don't think she's. No. You know, I think she is into girls or she's, into women, and she's still going to be into women regardless of, you know, her gender identity. Gender. I think she's still going to mm-hmm. be into women. So I would say, she's probably still a lesbian. I mean, she identifies as a lesbian. I don't think all of a sudden by saying well, no, no, no. you're a yeah, man now means you're straight. Mm-hmm. I think until she has the surgery, if she's going to get the surgery, yeah, she's a lesbian because technically she'll identify as a man, but she's not a man because she's a woman because she got pussy. So you're saying biologically she's like cisgender or straight when yeah. she has a surgery. But when she has the surgery and has a disgustingly awful penis, um, <laughs> then she will be straight. <laughs> It's a very confusing thing. Um, you, you know, Ted, yes. I wouldn't lose sleep over it because who really cares? Who gives a shit that she's a yeah. dude I do or like a these, chick is it or gay whatever? More is it gay? You know, I should bring back the theme music. I'm, I don't even know where I can find it, but we used to have it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you, Ted, for calling in. And uh, yeah, and you know, I, I think she's still lesbian. That's what I would say. That's not. That's what I'm thinking. Until yeah. the surgery, okay. according we'll to We'll go with it because I don't yeah. really care about her. Yeah. <laughs> People call us, Sigma Hotline, 323-522-4032. we got time for one email. This comes in from D in England. Uh, D writes, I've just got a new neighbor who is, at a glance, 
a bit ugly. I just found out that he's American. Suddenly less unappealing. Weird. Why is he less unappealing? Because he's American. Yeah, why, why is he? She like, said, I, like, I got a bit I like tipsy. The and out of the blue, pretty turned on at the random thought of him hearing me orgasm and touching myself. And touching himself too. So she got turned on at the thought yeah. of her masturbating and him touching himself. Him. So what a fucking okay. great time I just had. Zero regrets. Though I'm a little nervous to walk into my conservatory because I'm visible from his window. Welcome to the neighborhood. Is this a bit weird or is it perfectly acceptable? Love D from England. Well, we're all allowed to, to wank to our heart's delight and to as loud as we like. But what would have been weird is she was in the conservatory looking at him while she did it. What is a conservatory? Is that like the... Uh... A conservatory. How would it? What would it be? Robin it like to the conservatory. <laughs> is it like a veranda? It's like a, I don't a know glass. What it is. It's like a glass enclosed patio. Oh, okay. Like, so I guess it is kind of. Like but it's like a, it's it's like a yeah it's like a part of your house. But it's indoors. Like, it's indoors, and like you've usually got a couple of couches in there, maybe a telly. You hang out there in the summer mainly because it's like very warm they're like sun drops hmm. um a sunroom i think we call it a sunroom a sunroom okay yeah right it's a sunroom a conservatory so, is a much better word were were you wanking in the conservatory d no i'm saying that i think well, she probably was doing it in another room but what would have been weird is if she was wanking in the cons this could start a relationship though because you know she wanks in the conservatory he notices then he starts wanking and then suddenly they're having sex and then you know, that's how we met and we've been together for 25 years when uh when i was in chicago this is years and years ago um i took like i dropped i didn't drop out of college i took like a like a year off almost it just took some time and i was living in chicago for a bit i went to new york and then went to chicago and I was staying at, at uh, my brother's, and I met this girl. Her name was Pamela Fox. Funny name. Awesome. She was Fucking a she awesome wolf. Name. She was a she wolf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she was a she wolf. It was funny about this girl. She was a bit older than me. Um, and uh, I remember one time, like, we were sitting there, like, we, we were just had sex, and we were sitting there talking. And she was like, So, how many people have you had sex with at one time? And I was like, and I was young. I mean, I was still in college. So I was probably like 19 yeah. or 20. And I'm like, uh, one? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm like, how about you? She's like, 14. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh, just fuck? 14. Yeah. <laughs> 14. I was like, what was the guy to girl ratio? She's like, two guys, 12 girls. Like crazy. Whoa. But she had this weird thing with her neighbor who is across the street. And the neighbor, like, had a girlfriend, I don't know, a girlfriend or wife or whatever. And they would like, you know, have sex in the window. And, and it was a thing. She was like, she was, I've never, she had never met this person. It was the yeah. building right across from hers. But like at, you know, certain times, like they would have sex like in the window and we, we could watch them. And then and we would sometimes wank. have sex and they would, uh, no, and they would watch us. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was odd at first, but then I was like, oh, you know, why not? It's not like they're. It's all showing up. Yeah, but now you have the, the internet, room. D. You don't have to be doing stuff like that. You can just be watching the other couple have well, sex. Yeah, that's and that's on. Well, I mean, I guess 
you know, D could do that, but is it sexier for her to get off with the ugly American watching her wank in her conservatory? Mm-hmm. Bit of voyeurism, bit of peeping Tomery. Bit of peeping um, Tomery going on here. Yeah, I think so. I think I you should do it, like... D. When she said he's ugly, yeah. he probably looks like Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants. Nobody you want to watch Seth cup. Rogen masturbating? I don't want Michael Sierra's come. I don't want Elliot Page's come. I don't want fucking Seth Rogen's come. This is like, what a turn off this show is. I won't be <laughs> masturbating after this show tonight. Even will anyone else? <laughs> I say, D, go for it. Just start masturbating. You know, go get a a vibrator from Blackpool and just start fucking yourself yeah, in the conservatory. See what happens. You know what, D? At the end of the day, it's your house and you can do whatever you like in it. And if people watch you, then people watch you. That's how it goes. What's wrong with it? That's how it yeah. goes. Mm-hmm. Um, email the show, sickandwrongpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, by the way, we launched an official Sick and Wrong Reddit page. I know there's a couple other Sick and Wrong Reddits, but the official Sick and Wrong Reddit page is r slash Sick and Wrong Podcast. And I got to say, fuck the suck. Fuck the suck. Fuck Facebook. Facebook, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't mind. I'm not, I'm not going to like delete the Facebook pages and I'm still going to post there and I'm going to post, you know, new notifications for the shows and all that. But I'm sick and tired of Facebook deleting my posts, banning my posts, you know, rejecting every single ad. And then everybody else who posts in like even the private Sick and Wrong, the Sick and Wrong uh, page, they get their, mm-hmm. their posts blocked or banned and then they get end up in Facebook jail. So that kind of spurred um, me and Kate to set up an actual sick and wrong Reddit page. And there's some gnarly shit on that page. I got to say. Yeah, I do. I do want to say thank you. Cause like last week or the week before I was asking people to send me that like, gross and disgusting memes. And a lot of people have been sending me them. Thank you. Keep it up. Like, especially like a Robin Ann. They are the two main offenders. I enjoy both of your works. Keep it, keep them coming. I want, I, did, I uh, love memes and I love disgusting workplace accidents as well. Did you watch uh, my peekaboo video I made? Which was the peekaboo one? It's, it's I've on watched there. so much gross stuff this week. I probably have, yeah, I definitely watched that. I like all the Bob Madigan stuff. I'm in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been Bob. posting a lot of uh, old Bob Madigan videos I have. But yeah. But this peak, so there was a time when I just thought, like, this is going to go viral. So I made that I want to know what love is and I want the internet to it's, show me yeah, this is disgusting that. video you can't post anywhere. Then I made mm-hmm. peekaboo. I'm not going to explain what this one is. I don't know what I was thinking. It's not like I took the footage myself. I think I took it from like other sites or someone sent it to me and I made it into like a video with like a, with a music bed, but it, there's nothing you can do with it. I mean, I don't know yeah. what I was thinking, like what I'm going to do with this fucking disgusting video. Eventually I didn't realize like post it to Reddit. So yeah, just go check out the, go to r slash sick and wrong podcast it's definitely not for the soft and warm people out there because it's not soft and warm at all but i have a lot of old content that's disgusting that i'm going to be posting there very soon because it's kind of like it's it's you're free you're free to do what you want to do on reddit Mm -hmm. yeah so there'll be like no censorship really we do have to make some of the posts not safe for work otherwise the group will get kicked but it's very easy to make your profile um, an 18 plus so you can view all that stuff you just go into your settings you can change it you can google it troubleshoot it but yeah there's going to be no 
no soft and warm nonsense. It's all like, um, think of it as like the wackily years, but on Reddit. <laughs> on Reddit. People. Well, wackily never liked all. Well, I, I think he kind of did. I don't even know. Mm. I don't even want to think about wackily's porn collection. <laughs> um, also, uh, new and improved Sick and Wrong 3.0 Patreon is officially here. So if you go to uh, Sick and Wrong Podcast or patreon.com slash sick and wrong, you can check out the new 3.0 Patreon. We got brand new rewards at every tier. Uh, not only do we an extra story and phone calls, but now we've been doing like these outtakes. And outtakes have kind of, like me and Harrison used to do outtakes, but they're mo- mostly just kind of us like, I would always try to do like, I'm going to look through the news and bring up interesting news stories. But I don't know. I don't know if he really gave a shit about it or he was also busy yeah. trying to like do other things. So oftentimes you never really get to focus the outtakes, but now it's kind of become this thing where we sort of do like the news of the week. And so this, this, and it's, you know, I, what I do is throughout the week, I, I read a lot of news and I go through and when I find something, mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to talk about this. I usually like pin it or bookmark it and then I save it for the outtakes. And so this week we went through a lot of topics. It's a good hour's worth of outtakes. My favorite thing was Rudy Giuliani's fart at the Michigan State (laughs) hearing. So there's a lot of extra stuff that we're posting at every tier. We, and I mentioned before we do a bonus episode every week, sick and wrong overkill. This week we did Vince Taylor, which is a fascinating story. Um, but yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff on Patreon. We really do want your support. Um, you know, I'm, I'm serious about it. once we hit our goal, like I'm going to, I'm planning like annual tours to the UK and to hit some, yeah, uh, yeah, and hit some of the U S yeah. uh, cities that were, pro- you know, that's the thing. We know which cities like where we get the most downloads. And I think it'd be cool just to sync up. Maybe, I mean, we could do live shows, but it'd be fun just to like do like pub tours you know, or maybe, yeah, could, you know, things like that. Support us. I know, like, shit is fucked everywhere and everyone's fucked for, like, money. But, yeah. like, so are we as well. Well, we and, appreciate the support. You know, we've been on for 15 yeah. years and we do this show every week for free. So by going to Patreon, you know, you're actually, like, helping out the show and, uh, you know, supporting something that you've been listening to for so long. So just go to patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you'll you'll be rewarded. There's a lot of stuff that we have there right now. Um, the, there's a new T public store. So if you want to get some sick and wrong merch, you can go to sick slash shop. I recommend a sick and wrong skull tapestry to hang behind your bed <laughs> when you're having intercourse with the missus. I think it will. And the neighbors are passion. watching you. Yeah. yeah and then neighbors the neighbors watch you. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to go and listen to that podcast too because everyone needs podcast recommendations, don't they? It's a they? great and way to advertise the show and let people know that is. you're into podcasts. You know? Yeah. I think it's good, it's There's good nothing idea. sexier than saying that you're into a podcast. <laughs> I don't think they're having a sale right now, but their stuff's not that expensive. And it's pretty decent quality. So go to sickerongpodcast.com slash shop. Finally, here's Sickerong Song of the Week. Uh, Kate picked this one out. It's a Joe Meek song written and produced by Joe Meek in 1962 for the film Live It Up. And it's Gene Vincent's song, Temptation Baby. Kate, do you have anything to say about the song? It's my favorite Joe Meek song. Joe Meek song, and it's also my one of my favorite Gene Vincent songs. It's a perfect collaboration between the pair. It's it great. is a fucking cool. I just song. wish it was longer. Yeah, it's so good. But go ch- seriously, go check out Joe Meek and uh, some of the music he did because it's 
insanely how influential this guy is to modern music you listen to today. I mean, electronica, hip hop. I mean, Joe Meek's influence is pervasive. And uh, yeah. The same for Vince Taylor on Overkill, that you'll hear how Vince Taylor changed the world. I think, uh, well, there wouldn't be The Clash. The Clash would not exist without Vince There'd be a lot of bands that wouldn't exist without those two guys. So we're on the show here with uh, Gene Vincent's Temptation Baby People. Uh, We'll be back next week with episode 769. Until then, take a sleazy. Well, I'm beginning to see the light now. I need you day and night now. Whoa, whoa, don't let go. Temptation, baby. Boy, I see you strutting by how. You're making me feel so good now. Whoa, whoa, I love you so. Temptation, baby. Now, don't you think you've got me on swing? Whoa, cause I'm nobody's little Cause I love you the most So oh, 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 temptation baby Baby, oh, I see you strutting by. You make me feel so good now. Oh, oh, I love you so. Temptation, baby. Temptation, baby. They didn't bother to interview a single witness. Witness. <laughs>